We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up show, this Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Monday, April the 26th, 2021. Today's show I break down yesterday's spring game as South Carolina wraps up spring practice with the 2021 Garnet and Black spring game. Guys, I'll give you guys all of my takeaways from Garnet's 14-10 to 10 win and really the day that was at Williams-Brice Stadium. Guys, I'll give you guys my key takeaways. Garnet and Black spring game MVP, biggest question mark heading into the summer, my final thoughts. Much, much more to unpack and get into from a really fun day at Willie B. Guys, also, we're talking baseball. I'm breaking down everything that happened with the Arkansas series Thursday night and then Friday at Founders Park as well. Of course, Gamecocks losing two of three Thursday night, six to one. And then Saturday and doubleheader winning the first game, six to two, losing the second game, five to one. Guys, I'll give you guys my key takeaways. TSUS series MVP, slap dick of the weekend. Who's hot? Who's not? What's next for South Carolina baseball as they move into a very, very important week in the non-conference and, of course, SEC play this week. And also, guys, you got your news and notes, listener questions, your voicemails. Also, we have a fantastic conversation and interview with Mark Ryan of ESPN Upstate. And, guys, I know what you're thinking. Oh, my God, Mark Ryan, let me cut it off. No, I implore you, I challenge you, listen to the conversation, listen to the interview, guys. It's very informative, very interesting. We had a great conversation, Mark and I. Really appreciate him taking the time to join, guys. We got a packed show here on Monday. It's all brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, Upstate Movers Group, superior moving service. They bring care and attention other companies can't offer because they're just too busy maintaining trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on service. Guys, service is what separates Upstate Movers Group from the competition. They're not a trucking company. They're a moving services company, and they're also employee-owned co-op. Their movers are paid twice the industry average, and everyone on the crew is invested in your success. They have dedicated professional crew members, and they also offer black glove service. They offer end-to-end packing services, custom crating and packaging for special items, and cleaning services as well. Well, they are founded by Greenville natives and University of South Carolina alumni guys. So a Gamecock owned small business. They also offer 20 years of project management moving experience, and they can offer logistics and solutions that traditional moving companies simply don't have the skills for. Guys, whether in the upstate or across the state of South Carolina, if you have any moving needs in 2021, be sure to check out our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media at Upstate Movers Group. Or of course, if you have any other questions, go to their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That's upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up show sent you. Let's get it.
gentlemen, boys and girls. Hope you are all doing well on this fabulous Monday, and I hope you're all as fired up as I am, as we have got a packed show here on a Monday. Folks, first things first, hope you're all doing well. I'm Chris Phillips, host the Spurs Up Show. As always, appreciate you guys tuning in. Hope you all had a fantastic weekend. I know I did. It was a phenomenal weekend. I tell you what, this week's vlog, this week's Behind the Beak, is going to be one for the ages, by the way. Just on a side note, we've got baseball. We've got football, of course. We've got one hell of a conversation that's sure to make some people on Twitter eh, have some mixed feelings, of course. But again, guys, really appreciate you all tuning in. Thank you so much for the love and support. And that's really what I want, where I want to start, guys. I know I said it last week. I want to say it yet again. Um, going to the baseball games, going to the spring game. I just want to say, especially at the spring game, guys, thank you so much for the love and support. So many people showed, you know, came up, showed love. We're rocking the merch, the Beamer Ball stuff, the Shane Storm stuff, the ass kicking chicken stuff. I mean, it was, it, it's cool, man. I, I really don't even have the words for it. It's it's nearly overwhelming to to see in person and to kind of think back. And again, I, I promise I won't go on a crazy rant or anything right now, but it's just. You know, it's wild to kind of, you know, when, when you're on the journey and you're on the grind and, and you're chasing a dream and you're chasing a vision and you're kind of, you have tunnel vision, you know what I mean? You're kind of locked in and focused on that goal and really just waking up every single day and, and doing the absolute best you can and crushing that day. And, you know, you go each day and you, you stay in the present moment, right? You do that. So you don't really give yourself a lot of time to reflect and, and look back and, and all that stuff. And I, I kind of caught myself doing that actually Saturday night. I was laying in bed before I went to sleep. I mean, I couldn't sleep because I was so excited for the spring game. But I was looking back at, at some of our old posts and, and things I was doing, like even when I just first moved to Columbia in August of 2019. And to even to see the growth and the way the support has, has grown and the way things have evolved and shifted and, and, and grown for the better, you know, the, the positive trajectory and the positive progress that we've been able to make because of you guys. It, it's incredible. It's incredible. It's phenomenal. It, it's it's nothing but pure blessings. And I thank you guys so much. So again, everybody that came up said what's up, talk Gamecocks, met so many great Gamecocks at the spring game on Sunday. Also, of course, at all the baseball games. It was a phenomenal weekend, man. Getting to hang out and fellowship with, uh, you know, Gamecock fans and people that support the Spurs Up show and support what we do and rock what we do, man. I, I cannot say it enough how grateful I am for each and every single one of you, how much I appreciate you. I, I'll never stop being grateful. Um, it, it, it's really, really cool, man. It just is. It's, it's cool. It's awesome. It, it's amazing. And uh, I'm really excited to see where we go from here. You know what I mean? I, I'm really pumped. I'm really pumped. I am. And also what I'm pumped about is Gamecock football folks that's what we're going to start let's go ahead and dive into the show like i said i promise i won't rain on everything but again i'm seriously thankful for you guys thank you so much you guys are what make this thing go the love and support and like i said guys without further ado we're going to start with football because it's crazy baseball happened first but again football's fresh on our mind so i want to start on the gridiron i want to start on the football field as the gamecocks wrap up spring practice with the 2021 garnet and black spring game yesterday at Williams-Brice Stadium. Garnet defeating the Black 14-10. to 10. Of course, it was kind of an interesting format. You know, we say Garnet won 14-10. They only played a half of football, and the second half, as you guys saw, was much, much, uh, much more situational, third-down stuff, goal-line stuff, all, all that good stuff. So, again, the format was different. It was unlike any spring game that I've ever been to or seen or anything like that, but it was a lot of fun, of course. But I want to start with the number one thing that everyone is talking about. And I want to give you guys my perspective and my view on it. 
And I want to see how y'all feel about it. Because again, this is going to be conversation. Everything we solve in the spring game will be, but especially this is going to be conversation we have all throughout the offseason, all summer long, going into fall camp, going into that first game September the 4th against Eastern Illinois. And, you know, first things first, I'll say this. Great crowd, by the way. Everything was great. Beautiful day out at Williams-Brice. But it's funny, right? (laughs) I said all week long, we were doing so good. I was like, okay, we're going into a spring game. We understand it's a glorified scrimmage, and we're not going to draw any conclusions. We are not going to leave this spring game and say this that I saw on the field is now undeniable fact because I saw it in a spring game in a glorified scrimmage. But of course, I mean, listen, we're all passionate. We all get carried away. We all let our emotions run wild. And I saw it and you guys have seen it all over social media. And of course, you guys know what I'm starting with. It's the quarterback competition. Luke Doty against Jason Brown. And boy, let me tell you, if you have not seen it, if you have not been on social media for whatever reason, it is going wild right now. Fans comparing, contrasting what Luke Doty did. Fans saying Luke Doty can't throw the football. Jason Brown, you know, throwing to EJ Jenkins through two touchdowns. Oh, Jason Brown, he's just the superior passer and he's this and he that. And it also got fueled when Shane Beamer came out after the spring game and said, Luke Doty is QB1 right now, leaving spring ball. Luke Doty is our starting quarterback. And he said, again, you know, it's a competition. Luke's got to continue to win that that position battle. He's got to continue to show up and defend his job. But as of right now, he took every single rep as QB1 in the spring. And he is our starting quarterback, bottom line. And again, I'm seeing a lot of debate right now, which is fair, by the way, on these two guys. Now, hear me out. Here's what I told you guys going in this game. What I thought you were going to be able to see most, I'm actually surprised that Beamer named a starter. I really thought he would let this battle drag out into preseason camp. Okay? I thought he'd let it drag out. I really did. But, guys, I think we're all missing the point to begin with. Because the main takeaway right now is not who is QB1. It doesn't matter who QB1 is right now. We can both argue until we're blue in the face. Kickoff's not for, what, five months, right? We're not playing a game tomorrow. So it doesn't matter who QB1 is. What I told you guys going to the game is, what I want to see is, what is the separation between the two guys? See, that was the thing I don't understand that I've seen from fans. I've seen from a lot of fans. People trying to draw conclusions. Hey, Jason Brown should be QB1. He's the better quarterback. Like, are we really going to go off of a spring game and say that Jason Brown is just head and shoulders above Luke Doty? And I want to make this point, by the way, because I do not want people to think that I am like Team Doty and I'm, I'm pulling for him to win the job. Listen, guys, like I told you last season, and I'll tell you yet again this year, I don't care who the starting quarterback is. I do not. I don't care. I want to win football games. So whoever gives you the best chance to do that, that's who I want in the game. But I ran a poll on Instagram. Okay, who should be QB1? And heck, this has only been up for four hours, but it's already got a ton of replies, you can guess. And I'm going to go down the replies. I'm not going to read the ads of the people that submitted them. I'm sorry, there's just so many. But these are samples of some of the replies. I said, who should be QB1? Here's some of the replies. 
Got to ride with Luke. He's a leader and been to the fire. He'll bounce back for sure. Whoever plays the best by September, people should trust the coaching staff. Another says, after today, I'm saying Brown. Somebody said Jason Brown, good for the team. Somebody said Luke. Another says Jason Brown, without a doubt. Somebody else says Luke. Somebody else says Doty's job to lose, but Brown's arm looked pretty good. Somebody else, whoever, whoever can lead the team to a winning record, beat Clemson into a bowl appearance. Hey, I agree with you on that, actually. Wade Oxner underscore two. Maybe that's, 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 the, that's the, the best answer, probably all these. Uh, somebody else said Doty week one will go from there. Jason Brown, Jason Brown. I think Doty should, but there will definitely be a fight before kickoff in September. Jason Brown, Doty, Brown. Jason Brown clearly has the better arm talent, but Doty brings mobility and leadership. Somebody said Chris Phillips. Thank you for that, by the way. I, I'll take some snaps. Why not? Anyways, you can see that it's split. And again, if you've been on social media, you've seen all the commentary, you've read all the comments, you understand it's very split right now. Number one, I'm a little surprised people are drawing that hard of conclusions from a spring game. Not really, actually, though. But when I take a look at these two guys, we'll start with Jason Brown, okay? Because he is the wild card. He is the compelling storyline, I think, of that position coming out of the spring game. Does he have arm talent? Absolutely he does. No question. And that St. Francis connection from Brown to Jenkins was real, as you would expect. I mean, those guys have been playing football together since they were 12 years old. I thought he did a good job. You know, overall, he has the size, six foot four. He looks the part, you know, had some really nice throws to, to, to some of your tight ends. You know, those throws to EJ Jenkins were really nice tosses, really nice throws. But the narrative that is killing me, going back to Luke Doty, the narrative that is killing me, guys, is this, of people saying Luke Doty can't throw the football. Guys, I challenge you. I challenge you. There are videos right now on YouTube. You didn't even got to go watch the whole spring game over. There are highlights right now on YouTube. Go type into YouTube right now. 2021 South Carolina football spring game. You're going to see videos pop up. Go watch a few of them. Go watch it. Tell me Luke Doty cannot throw the football from what you saw. Because it's just flat out inaccurate, guys. It's just flat out inaccurate. It is. To say that Luke Doty can't spin it. The only difference between what Luke Doty did and Jason Brown did is Luke Doty didn't have the two touchdowns. That's the only difference. Those touchdowns are what are standing out in fans' minds right now. And I totally understand and respect that. Those are big plays. They should stand out. Hey, Luke Doty probably should have had a touchdown early in that game on the first drive when he hit Jaheim Bell over the middle, and he gets taken down at the inch line, which I thought Jaheim Bell was in personally, but whatever. But Luke Doty, in the, in the first half, in the normal game portion, and they didn't do a lot either. The offense, everything was very vanilla, as you would expect from a spring game. But Luke Doty, five for seven for 54 yards, 71% completion percentage. Again, nothing crazy. But go look at the highlights, guys. I challenge you seriously, before you say, oh, my God, Jason Brown is such a superior passer. And overall, is Jason Brown probably a little bit better of a passer than Luke Doty? I'd probably venture to say that he is. But look at the film before you say, oh, Luke Doty cannot throw the football. I just totally disagree. He had a couple of really nice passes to the carry-on joiner, to Jaheim Bell. Had some really nice throws in there. Had some really nice passes over the middle. Did the offenses as a whole look sharp? 
No, they did not. I certainly didn't think so. I think a lot of that falls in the wide receiver room, which I'm going to talk about in just a second. But back to my original point, guys, because here's, here's what I think everyone is missing from all of this. Everybody wants to have an answer right now, right? We live in a world where we get immediate answers. We get immediate search results, right? Immediate gratification, okay? We get the answer now. We get the result now. We don't wait, right? We have five months until kickoff. The biggest takeaway is not that, oh, Luke Doty is QB1 or Jason Brown is QB1. The biggest takeaway is that we thought there was this big gap between the two guys. My biggest takeaway, and again, what I think all of our takeaways should be, it's a positive. That gap is small. That gap's not as big as maybe we thought it was. And there is a real competition going into the fall. Again, guys, there's more to playing quarterback than just throwing the ball deep. There's leadership. There's mobility, which Luke Doty has. And again, I don't want people to think I'm like a Luke Doty stand. You know what I mean? Because those Ryan Holinsky stands, no offense to any of you out there, they got annoying last year, right? You could tell the people that were just pulling for Ryan Holinsky to win the job. And it's like, well, no, this is why they picked Colin Hill, whether you like it or not. This is it. And I don't even, I don't even want to dive back into that conversation. But I'm not a Luke Doty stand. But again, I just don't understand the people that I feel like, I feel like Jason Brown is like the new shiny toy, right? And people are so ready, even after just three games last year. He only played in three games, and you can't take away anything from what he did because it was a complete nightmare of a season, especially at the end. But for some reason, people are ready to throw this dude out, a four-star prospect from Myrtle Beach. I, I just don't understand it, guys. If Jason Brown, fair and square, beats out Luke Doty this fall and takes that job, I'm all for it. I support all the guys. But for people to say Luke Doty should be playing receiver, he can't throw the ball, it's just flat out inaccurate. I know there's probably a lot of you listening that are saying that. There's probably a ton of you listening that have friends that say that about Luke Doty, and they are wrong. Go look at the film. He can spin the ball. Just because he didn't throw a touchdown yesterday does not mean he cannot throw the football. How many plays did Luke Doty get to run with EJ Jenkins going up against, oh, by the way, a five foot nine defensive back? Because if you go back and look at the plays that Jason Brown threw the ball to EJ Jenkins, and again, they were great throws, but any quarterback worth a damn would have made that throw because the dude is six foot seven and a half against a five nine DB. Again, I'm not, I'm not trying to demean what Jason Brown did. Again, I think the bigger takeaway, it's not who QB1 is. It's the fact there is a legitimate competition, which is a good thing for this team. It's a good thing. Did we get to see Luke Doty's mobility yesterday? I don't think so. They're not letting the quarterbacks run in a spring game. They're certainly not letting them get hit. And again, I'm, try, I'm not take, trying to take anything away from what Jason Brown did. If Jason Brown wins the job, I'll be happy with it. I will. The guy can obviously sling it, and it's, it's, it's apparent they have a connection. Brown and Jenkins. I mean, no kidding, right? No kidding. We knew that. But I just think for fans to sit back right now here on this Monday, April the 26th, 2021, in a game where the Garnet beat the Black 14-10, to 10, and draw off of that, that, 
oh, Jason Brown is our guy. He's our savior. He's our all-conference guy. He's the guy that's going to get us back to Atlanta. Let's just pump the brakes a little bit, guys, and not be so quick to try to kick Luke Doty. That's what kills me. I don't understand it. So I think it's a good, healthy competition. You know, I, I think Colton Gothier got a lot of talent, but he's a true freshman. And then Connor Jordan, I think, is comfortably in that number four spot. But it's Luke Doty and Jason Brown. It's those two guys. And again, just try to hear me out. The main takeaway today is not, oh, Luke Doty's QB1. No, Jason Brown's QB1. The main takeaway is the gap is small. There's a real competition there. There is a real competition there. And hey, guys, guess what? Because a lot of people are saying, well, Chris, if you had to pick, who would you pick? Well, guess what? Shane Beamer says Luke Doty's QB1. I'm rolling with what Shane says, personally. He has seen these guys at practice every single day, not just for a spring game, every single day. Shane Beamer's been out there. I'm going to trust his word. If Shane Beamer and Marcus Satterfield say the best guy to lead this team is Luke Doty, I'm rolling with Luke Doty. I think Jason Brown can do some nice things. And, hey, like I said, he might be the better passer of the two. But in the offense they're trying to run, and Luke Doty's mobility and his leadership, the intangibles, I mean, I don't know. There's a lot more to play in the position than just, I got a strong arm. The guy with the strongest arm doesn't win the position battle. The guy who's the best overall quarterback wins the position battle. And I just think to draw that many conclusions from yesterday about that position, I just think it's a bit foolish, guys. I think it's a bit foolish. You know, was Jason Brown going up against the same defensive backs Luke Doty was? Was he going up against the same defensive linemen? Like, you have to factor in all of these things. And like I said, just back to my point about Luke Doty, people that say he cannot throw the football, it's just flat out inaccurate. It's just inaccurate. It is. It's just inaccurate, man. I think Luke Doty has a strong arm. Is it as strong as Jason Brown's? I don't know. And am I saying Luke Doty's a perfect player? No, I am not. I mean, I remember specifically a play, the first drive. He drops back. He has EJ Jenkins immediately open of the middle. He pauses, he pauses, he clutches, he clutches. And by the time he throws it, it's picked off by R.J. Roger. Granted, it was a pass interference, but if he throws that ball on time, it's a completion, maybe a touchdown. That's stuff that Luke Doty's got to get better at. He's got to improve. But, you know, Shane Beamer, I thought, put it beautifully in the postgame. He said, I saw nothing from today that would make me change my mind or feel differently about saying that Luke Doty, as of right now, is QB1. And when I went back and watched it, because, of course, I went to the game, and then I came home and I watched it again. I'm like, I want to see this from the TV view. Watching it again, I agree 110% with Shane Beamer. Like, there's nothing that I saw that makes me say, oh, my God, Luke Doty just, he looks so bad, you know, and Jason Brown looks so superior. He should be the starting quarterback. There's nothing that I saw, guys. Again, he went five for seven for 54 yards. I mean, we're acting like he had a terrible day. The only difference in his day and Jason Brown's is Jason Brown's at the two touchdowns. That's literally it. That's the only difference between what those two guys did. And again, I can't wait to debate this with you guys for the rest of the offseason because I know there's a lot of you that probably disagree with me. But, and like I said, I want the best guy to win the competition. I don't give a damn who it is. But there's a bunch of narratives out there that I think are false. I think there's a bunch of conclusions out there that people are trying to draw from a spring game, a scrimmage. 
a scrimmage. And like I said in closing on the quarterback competition, it's not about who QB1 is right now. That's not the biggest takeaway. The biggest takeaway is that now we know it's Dodie versus Brown. And there's a little bit of a gap there, but maybe not as, not as much of a gap as I once thought there was. And, hey, I think that's exciting. I think that's a positive. Iron sharpens iron. May the, ble- may the best player win. And it's going to be a lot of fun to watch, a lot of fun to hear as we go through summer workouts and, of course, into fall camp and kick off September the 4th. I feel like we could spend the entire show <laughs> just talking about the quarterback competition, but a lot of other good things happened on the field yesterday. Well, another big takeaway for me, I talked about him, EJ Jenkins, the other half of that St. Francis connection. Man, he's going to be a lot of fun to watch as a red zone threat, especially. I mean, this dude is a monster. Six foot seven and a half. He looks like Kelvin Benjamin, honestly. He looks like a Jimmy Graham. He has that type of build. And again, the, the, the poor defensive back that was trying to cover him, I, I don't know what the deal was there. I mean, the one time he got covered, and oh, oh, ironically, by the way, guess who was playing quarterback when this pass was thrown to him? Luke Doty. And guess who was covering EJ Jenkins? It was Cam Smith, your best defensive back. A fade route, that was the one time I really thought he got covered. Maybe the throw was a little bit overthrown, but and it was called pass interference on Cam Smith, by the way. But EJ Jenkins, what he can serve for you down in the red zone, I mean, he should be getting he should be getting three or four fade balls a game, guys. I mean, this dude is huge. He has just the, the pass-catching ability, can just go up and over everybody. I mean, the great thing about him, too, is this. He's too quick for a linebacker, but he's far too big for a defensive back. I mean, you think about last year, if you still had Israel Mukwamu, Izzy is six foot four, and this guy is still three inches taller than him. How is that possible? How can a human be that big and play wide out? But he is right now in EJ Jenkins. Really liked what I saw from him. I want to move to the running game, guys, because there are a lot of takeaways from the running game. And I think this is going to be the focal point of the Gamecocks offense this season. I don't think it's any surprise. I don't think it's, you know, I'm telling you guys anything you don't know, because we all know. That is where the strength of this team lies. You know, with guys like Kevin Harris, Marshawn Lloyd, Rashad Amos, of course, those guys did not play yesterday. And I know a lot of fans, by the way, were frustrated by the amount of guys that sat out. Guys, it happens all over the country. And I think, you know, you had a bunch of guys, and I think Shane Beaver might have even said this, but you had a bunch of guys that, you know what, if it was a real game yesterday, they would have played. But it's the spring game, you know. Why would you put a guy like Kevin Harris at risk? He's your horse. We know what he's going to do. You know, why would you put Marshawn Lloyd, God forbid, at risk? You know, guys like Amarian Brown didn't play. Jordan Strawn didn't play. Aaron Sterling didn't play. Uh, Wyman was out. You know, uh, Randrikas Davis was out. A ton of guys sat yesterday. Is it a big deal? No. And I think what was great about it is it gave us the opportunity, especially at running back and in the running game, to see different guys. And the opportunity to watch Zaquandre White run the football yesterday. What a treat that was. You know, again, I think we all agree it's going to be the Marshawn Lloyd and the Kevin Harris show this fall, right? It's going to be those two guys. It's going to be those two guys, the bus and whatever Marshawn's name, nickname is that we haven't come up with him yet. But it's going to be those two guys that handle the bulk of the running duties this season. But, man, Zaquandre White really showed you some, I thought, explosiveness, hard nose running. I mean, this is a dude that's shifty. He can make some moves. I, I mean, you talk about players that flashed yesterday in the spring game and that had impressive spring games, and you start looking around and saying, man, this guy might be able to help us. 
is that Quandre White looked like a dude to me yesterday. Again, really, really shifty. He's going to provide you some fantastic depth, if nothing else. But a guy that I think certainly made a case yesterday, again, it's just the spring game, but a guy that made a case to, he needs to touch the football, bottom line. You know, we heard about him being the number one you know, running back coming out of JUCO and, you know, all these accolades and, and, and all these rankings and, you know, whatever. And we didn't see it last year for whatever reason. But I think you saw it time and time again. Again, 14 carries for 95 yards, had a touchdown. I, I love the way that he ran the football. I thought also Nathan Harris Wainick, the, uh, the local product out of Columbia, great story. I thought he ran it really well. Hard-nosed runner. How about Jaheim Bell getting in at running back? I love the way they used Jaheim Bell. I thought that was really cool, really creative. I think that's that Oklahoma wrinkle. You know, Jaheim Bell, to me, feels like that kind of like that H-back guy, that hybrid guy. They kind of slide everywhere from tight end to fullback to running back to, to wide receiver. A little bit of a do-it-all guy. Jaheim Bell said in postgame, you know, I'm an athlete. I'll play anywhere. Doesn't matter. Put me anywhere on the field. But the running game certainly – is going to be, in my opinion, the focal point of this offense, at least in year one, because that's where the strength of your team lies. You know, you return four or five starters on the offensive line, which I thought the offensive line looked pretty good. Um, again, it's really tough because, like I said, you're facing your own defensive line. So was the offensive line good or was the defensive line bad? You know what I mean? I have no idea, but I thought they looked solid overall. And again, I thought all the guys that ran the football looked really, really good. And that was the strength of the spring game yesterday. You know, it was a Quandre White and, and, uh, you know, Nathan harris Wayneck and Jaheim Bell and what those guys did, especially with White, especially Quan White, man. I, I, you know, and I will say this, Quan White dripping swag on the sidelines with the shades and the gold teeth in. I mean, <clears throat> that should give him the starting nod right there, right? It's unreal. Maybe this is the year of Quan White. I got a really good buddy of mine. He loves, loves Zaquandre White. He's like, dude, Dequandre White wins as soon as he gets off the bus with the tats and the gold teeth and the chains. Bro, he's the guy. He's the, he, the ultimate football player. But the way he ran the football yesterday, man, incredible. Like, really good stuff. I really liked what I saw from him. I think he's a true athlete, a playmaker. In an offense where you're looking for playmakers going into this season, you know, maybe Quan White can help you. And if nothing else, I think he can certainly be a dude that fits into that, into that RB3 slot and can spell Marshawn Lloyd and Kevin Harris, if nothing else. I mean, you need depth at that position. We saw it last year. We've seen it before. You need depth at that position. Zaquandre White, Harris Wainick, and then Jaheim Bell. Those guys certainly give you that. And again, I'm really excited for Jaheim Bell, what he can do. I, I was pumped about him before. I've been saying all offseason, I think he's going to be an absolute beast for us. And Shane Beamer's very high on him because, hey, he recruited him at Oklahoma. So he recruited him as an offensive player and a linebacker. So he knows he's an athlete. I'm really pumped for what they can do with Jaheim Bell, his versatility in this offense. Speaking of the offense, and again, I say that the running game is going to be the focal point. Again, I don't think that's a secret. I think absolutely it is. And one of the reasons is this, because I think there's still major, major question marks at the wide receiver position. Now, listen, a lot of guys were out yesterday. I understand that. Amarian Brown, who I think might be your best wideout, he sat out. Randricus Davis sat out. Uh, Sam Reynolds sat out. Uh, who else? Yeah, I know you had a – Mike Wyman was out. Even with that being said, though, you know, I, I talked about you don't draw any conclusions in the spring game, do we, but do you start to see some guys provide flashes, if you will? 
And I thought, you know, to carry on Joiner, I thought he looked as comfortable as he's looked at that position. Again, we didn't have a really big sample size because, I mean, how many times did you throw the football? Not that many. I mean, Luke Doty only threw seven passes. It was, it's not like it, it's not like you, you know, you, we have this large sample size, like 60 passes were thrown and, oh, you know, this guy that, you know, so it, it's tough to say. But there were still times, I thought, yesterday where drops were an issue. Um, guys just not making contested catches. And, you know, I think we'd be naive to act like that wide receiver is not still a major question mark. I will say, like I said, I like Dak Joyner. I think he will be a contributor for you. But I look at the wide receiver position, and many times, you know, I saw different guys out there like Ortre Smith. Hey, it was just great to see Ortre out there running around. That I, I was just honestly ecstatic to see Ortre Smith just on the field and healthy. That made me smile. But I saw Ortre. I saw Jalen Brooks. I saw Josh Van. I saw, you know, DeCarion Joyner. Um, I, I saw the tight ends, of course, Trey Kenyon and Kevion Mullins. I saw Nick Muse. But when I look at the wide receiver room, Jakari Caldwell, I saw Rico Powers. When I look at the wide receiver room right now, though, this is kind of the way I view it. We got a bunch of guys. We got a bunch of guys in the wide receiver room. But we need to find some dudes. Okay? Let me say that again. We got a bunch of guys right now. Bunch of guys in that wide receiver room. We got to find us some dudes. We got to find us some playmakers, man. We got to find some guys that are going to be able to separate themselves from the pack. And like I said, I'm, I'm not sitting here saying, drawing conclusions, saying, oh, my God, we just don't have anybody like that. I don't know. Maybe those guys that sat out of that way, maybe we got some guys that are like that, that didn't get the opportunity, but we have got to find some dudes. Bottom line. Bottom line. Because I look at that wide receiver room, and I think Justin Stepp's going to do a phenomenal job. I think he is doing a phenomenal job. But – Josh Van kind of just looked like Josh Van. Jalen Brooks just kind of looked like Jalen Brooks. You know, nothing really stuck out to me. Chad Terrell looked like Chad Terrell, guys, to be honest with you. Ortray kind of just looked like Ortray. I didn't see, you know, Dak Joyner, like I said, I think he probably made the biggest stride. He looked as comfortable as I've ever seen him look at wide out. Made some really nice catches. His athleticism shined through, and I thought he made a really nice catch of the middle from who else but Luke Doty. So there were some nice flashes here and there, but that is just overall, you know, if you had to pick one position group that needs to make the biggest jump from now to kickoff, it's wide receiver and defensive back. And I probably say wide receiver is number one because I think there's athletes in the secondary, but wide receiver, bro, we have got to see a huge, huge jump, a huge jump. You got to find some dudes, man. You got a bunch of guys right now. And they're solid. Don't get me wrong. But you got to have – who's going to be that dude that steps up? Who is wide receiver one? Do we know? I don't think anybody has a clue. Bro, the question right now should not be who QB1 is. To hell with it. Who the hell is catching the ball? Who is wide receiver one? Because the running game is going to be the strength. But if you cannot throw the football, you just have no chance. You have no chance. And I'm not even saying throw the football 50 yards down the field. You got to have guys, though, that you get the ball in their hands and they make people miss and they make plays. Who are those dudes? Who are they? I don't know right now. So, again, a lot of questions at wideout. Uh, moving to the line of scrimmage, you know, listen, I thought overall both lines of scrimmage really impressed. Like I talked about the running game, I think that is going to be the strength of this team. I thought the offensive line 
you know, for the most part, had a pretty good day, uh, opened up some holes, gave enough of a push. You know, Zaquandre White and the rest of the running game certainly doing the rest of it, you know, breaking tackles, running hard. But I thought the offensive line as a whole did pretty well. But I thought the defensive front also, they had a lot of success. You know, J.J. Anibare flash, he had a really good day. I thought Jordan Birch had some nice plays. Zach Pickens had the fumble recovery. Um, you know, Tonka Hemingway looked great. Rick Sandage looked great. I, I you know, I, I think it's no surprise – because we've been talking about it all preseason, all, all spring practice, I should say. But that defensive front, man, that defensive line, that, that is outside of the running backs. That's probably the best position unit on your football team. And I thought really on the defensive front especially, you saw the athletes. And those guys, to me, were as good as advertised. Again, you still didn't have Aaron Sterling playing. Um, you know, he wasn't out there. But J.J. Nibari, Brad Johnson, like I mentioned, Birch, Pickens. You know, uh, Tonka, you know, Rick Sanders. Of course, I'm probably leaving out a couple of names. But I thought the defensive front looked really good. The offensive line, like I said, I feel good about them. But overall, it's tough to judge the line of scrimmage, guys, because like I said, it's like, okay, one side did really well. What does that say about the other? Like, um, I I know that for, you know, for a little bit, our left tackle was getting absolutely abused by J.J. Nibari. And again, that's no surprise because J.J. Nibari's abused a lot of left tackles over his career, especially last year. I think he's a guy who got, who's absolutely going to blow up this season. But overall, I thought both lines of scrimmage, I thought they pretty much, pretty much did their job, and I thought they impressed me overall. The guy who really impressed me on defense, though, and the guy who I think is going to be the leader of this defense, was Debo Williams. Um, and it's more so, you know, I, I don't even know what his stats were. I, I don't, I don't, whatever. I, I don't know if he blew up the stat sheet or not. But it's really just the mentality and the attitude that you can tell this dude plays with. I mean, just laying the wood, bro. When he hits, this dude hits to kill you. He doesn't hit to hurt you. He hits to kill you. And I think he said that in the preseason. Like, he's a headhunter. You know, I'm not sitting here saying he's the the talent level of DJ Swearinger. I'm not saying that at all. But I think he brings that sort of mentality. And this is a defense that's looking for a leader in the middle. You know, you lose Ernest Jones. We all want to talk about J.C. and Izzy and these other guys leaving. And they were big losses. Don't get me wrong. But I don't think we talk enough about Ernest Jones and his departure and how big of a deal that is and is going to be for this football team. Because I really feel like Ernest Jones was the heart and soul and the leader of that team last year, that defense. Even when things were going awry, even when things were falling apart, Ernest Jones, it was a lunch pail type of dude. Show up, handle your business, and play ball. Can Debo Williams be that guy? And I think he brings that leadership. I think he brings that physicality. I think he brings that mentality. And I think right now, you know, if I had to look around, I I think Debo Williams is the leader of the defense. And he's not the only one, but I think at that second level, Yeah, I think Debo Williams is the leader of that defense right now. So I'm really excited to see his progression, kind of what he turns into for for Clayton White and Jimmy Lindsey and the rest of this, Mike Peterson, the rest of this this defensive staff. I think he's going to be a really nice player for you. And if nothing else, like I said, he's going to bring that mentality and that nastiness to that counter defense. Guys, finally, before we move into spring game MVP and everything else, uh, on the back end of the defense, the secondary. You know, again, like I said, it's really tough. Because I think fans, for the most part, in the spring game are pulling for offense. You know, nobody wants to go to a spring game 
that finishes up with a seven to three final score, right? Like, I don't think any of us want to sign up for that. Even even fourteen to ten after after the first half was kind of like, uh, okay, whatever. But when it comes to the secondary, you know, first things first. On a positive note, I thought Cam Smith flashed. I, I thought Cam Smith. I think he's without a doubt your best defensive back. And then Marcellus Dial. That was a guy that really jumped out at me. The Juco transfer, um, laid the wood a couple of times. Had some really nice plays. I think he can be a really nice player for you. But when it comes to the secondary, you know, I talked about the wide receivers. The secondary has their batch of issues as well. And again, you didn't have a lot of guys playing yesterday, most notably Joey Hunter. He didn't play. Um, O'Donnell Fortune actually led you in tackles, I think, with like seven. So I had a pretty good day. But the secondary is a major area of concern, in my opinion. Um, and it just comes down to lack of bodies. You know, that was the one thing I noticed. I, I felt like yesterday, I was like, man, it does not feel like we have a lot of players for some reason. I don't know why that is. It just does not. It feels like we're trotting the same guys out there every single possession. Like we don't have a three deep at a lot of positions, you know, but the secondary, we already knew you have 10 scholarship defensive backs. And I think you had two of them sitting out. So when you're running a four, two, five, Hey, the same guys are going to play a lot. And I think that's the reason, by the way, if you're wondering, I think that's why you saw South going to only play a half of football. I don't think they have the bodies right now to go a full four quarters. Either way, though, back to the secondary. You know, I think there's talent there. Without a doubt, I think there is talent there. I saw, I saw a lot of good competition. Because, again, does South going to have the best wide receiver in the world? Absolutely not. But I thought you saw our defensive secondary compete. You know, a lot of contested catches, a lot of contested throws. <clears throat> I thought they did a really good job in that department. But you got to find some answers. And Torian Gray, he's got his work cut out for him. He's got his work cut out for him, bottom line. You got to find some answers. You got to find them quick. And, I got, and guys, I don't know if the solution is on this team. Like, I, I just think, you know, I was concerned about the secondary before the spring game. I'm concerned about the secondary after the spring game. I think I'm going to be concerned about the secondary going into the season. And I think the secondary is just going to kind of be something that we got to kind of keep our fingers crossed for no injuries and sort of just grin and bear it, man, because I think probably the only way you're going to fix it is in recruiting. You got to go get guys. You got to go get ball players. You know, like I said, you only have 10 guys. You only have 10 scholarship guys. So, you know, again, there, there's some talent there. Don't get me wrong. You know, there's some talent with Cam Smith and Marcellus Dial and O'Donnell Fortune and Joey Hunter and, and, and Dominic, uh, Dominic Hill. And, you know, there's some other guys back there. You know, R.J. Roderick and Jalen Dickerson. I like what Dickerson did at safety. I think the safety position, if R.J. Roderick can sort of come into his own, which, by the way, he suffered an ankle injury. Shane, we were saying it shouldn't be that big of a deal, though, if you were wondering. But I think, actually, the safety position might be okay. I like Jalen Dickerson's game. I like R.J. Roderick's game. If... He can come into his own. I know he's had some. He's had an up-and-down career. But the secondary to me is, is certainly an area of concern going into this season. All right, let's move to 2021 Garnet and Black Spring Game MVP. Guys, let's hand on an award, the TSUS Spring Game MVP. And the award goes to, I, listen, I talked about this guy earlier. I, I think it's a no-brainer. The way he flashed, what he showed in that game yesterday, and again, maybe the swaggiest dude on the entire field, and that is running back Zaquandre White. Quan White, 14 carries, 95 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, again, we heard a lot about Quan White, what he could do as a running back, and we never got to see it last year. 
And it was a damn shame. And he even got moved to defensive back at one point. Am I saying he should be the starting running back? Absolutely not. But Zaquandre White made a pretty damn good case that he should touch the football. I mean, bottom line, the dude's shifty. He's mobile. He's a hard-nosed runner. He's willing to run somebody over if he's got to. You know what I like about him? There were many times I saw yesterday where he was pretty much stood up. He was pretty much stopped. He kept them legs moving. He kept moving forward. He kept trying to get more yards. I mean, there's one specifically, the guy's wrapped around his leg, and he just keeps going. He kept going, trying, just trying to drag him, drag him, drag him. Like a Corey Boyd-type running style. And you just love to see that. So, again, really excited for what Quan White brings to the running back room. And if nothing else, I think he'll give you great depth. But he's my TSUS Garnet and Black Spring Game MVP. Again, that goes to running back Zaquandre White. Guys, let's move into my biggest question marks heading into the summer, heading into the offseason. What are the biggest question marks for this football team? And I'm going to do offense and defense. And I feel like if you guys have been paying attention, you already know where I'm going with this. My biggest question mark for the offense heading into the summer is the wide receiver room. Like I said, everywhere else on this offense, I feel like you look and say, okay, there's some potential there. I look at quarterback. Hey, we got options. You look at tight end. We got options. Running back. We certainly have options. We got great options. Offensive line returns four or five starters. They should be solid. What is the deal with the wide receivers? Got a bunch of guys. You got to find some dudes. You got to find some guys, some dudes, excuse me, that can step up and make plays for you. You got to. And like I said, I don't want to draw any conclusions from the spring game yesterday and say we don't have any because a lot of receivers didn't play. But still, all we can go is off what we saw. I think wide receivers still a major, major question mark. Again, you got a bunch of guys in that room with talent. Bunch of guys in that room that were highly touted. Bunch of guys in that room that have size and have speed and can catch. But you got to find from now till September the 4th, you got to find some dudes that can go make plays. You know, it's like Perry Orth told me, the biggest difference between when he was on South Carolina's football team in 2013 versus when he was the starting quarterback in 2015. In 2015, You had a bunch of guys looking around saying, okay, who's going to make the play? In 2013, you had a bunch of guys looking around saying, I'm going to make the play. No, no, I got this one. Throw me the ball. You got to find some guys in that wide receiver room that take on that mentality of, no, I'm going to make the play. That want the football. That are big-time ball players. Because this offense desperately needs more playmakers. Bottom line. And as good as the running game is going to be this fall, if you cannot throw it, and I don't care if it's Doty, I don't care if it's Brown, if you don't have some pass-catching options, and I think you do, but if you don't have some pass-catching options that are going to take the next step and become dudes, it's going to be tough sledding for you. People are going to key in on the running game. They're going to make you throw. And if you don't have receivers that can win, you're not going to win. So, again, The biggest question mark offensively for me is the wide receivers. And on defense, the biggest question mark for the defense heading the summer is, (laughs) you guessed it, the secondary. (laughs) The secondary. And again, I don't know what can be done to solve the secondary's issues. 
Because like I said, I think it's just a lack of bodies. I, I mean, you, you, you have what you have. Ten scholarship defensive backs. You got some capable players, but you're going to lean on your pass rush. You're going you're gonna to go each and every single week this fall and say, hey, guys, we need you to get pressure on the quarterback. Because number one, there aren't many secondaries, if any, that can hold for four or five seconds and not get burnt, right? There, there just aren't many that can do that, if any at all. Receivers and athletes are too good now. But the other reason being, you just don't have maybe the talent, the skill you'd like to have back there. So I think Cam Smith can be a good one for you. I, I think he can be a solid option as your number one guy. I think Marcellus Dial coming in as a transfer, I think he'll be a nice option. I think, you know, Roderick and Dickerson are solid in the back end, but overall as a collective, there's questions to be answered. There's questions to be answered in the secondary, and it's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out back there for sure. All right, guys, final thoughts in the spring game really quickly before we move to baseball. Um, you know, overall, I, I thought it was a really successful day. Overall, the day was incredible. You know, I know some people were not pleased that they moved it to Sunday, which because it was interesting, you know, I'm here in Columbia, and it, it barely rained. <clears throat> it barely rained on Saturday. Weather wasn't even that bad, but we had a beautiful day for it, man. It was incredible. Like I said, a bunch of great Gamecocks out there. I think over 13,000 is what they said. Um, it was great to meet you guys, talk with you guys, talk Gamecocks, you know, fellowship with great Gamecocks. It was incredible. It was incredible, man. And I think the, you know, you could feel the excitement and the energy and the positive energy and the optimism and, and the hope in the air at Williams Bryce. And it was just so great to get back in Willie B, man, you know, walking in, into Willie B for the first time as Shane Beamer is the head football coach. I, it was just incredible. It was just incredible. And, and just, I, I can't wait. I can't wait to see what Shane Beamer does with this program. I trust what he's doing with this program. It's going to take time. we got to be patient for sure. You know, this roster, you know, I, I wish I could be a fly on the wall to hear what Shane, you know, this is no disrespect to anybody currently on the team. But when Shane Beamer looks back in five years and 10 years, you know, this is going to be his worst team here. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, no offense, but this is going to be his worst team here if things go well, if things go according to plan. You know, so, so it's about really this season. And there's talent on this roster. Now, I, I please don't take what I just said, you know, and twist it. There's talent on the roster. But I think you guys get what I'm saying with recruiting and everything else. He's going to build this thing up. Stack one good day on top of another. Stack good classes on good classes on good classes on good athletes on good athletes on good athletes, right? But when he looks back in five, ten years, and he's going to look back on this roster and probably laugh, the job this year is to somehow squeeze six wins out of the roster. Squeeze six. Can you get six wins out of these guys? And I think you've got the talent. I really do. Depth, still an issue. I think that's still probably your biggest concern. But you've got some ball players. There's no question. You look at even yesterday. You have ball players. You really do. And, you know, like I said, it was just great to get back in the building, to, to watch the boys take the field, you know, and to begin this, this new era officially on the field for South Carolina football. A lot of fun. All right, that's going to wrap it up for the spring game, guys. Again, we're going to continue to talk about this. Uh, you know, debate rages on all offseason, especially around the quarterback competition. We're going to wrap it up. That is the wrap-up on the 2021 Garnet and Black spring game. Guys, let's move into baseball. You know what's crazy about this? It feels like, you know, we're talking, of course, every Monday we do our series recap. With the series happening on Thursday and Friday due to the weather, it's wild. It feels like baseball hadn't happened in like four days. I mean, it's been forever. But we are going to talk about it. Arkansas series, 
South Carolina dropping two of three to the number one ranked Razorbacks, losing the Thursday night game six to one, and the doubleheader winning game two, six to two, and then losing game three that night, same night, Friday night, five to one to lose the series. Overall, first thing is this. Moving into my key takeaways. You know, we can sit here and we can start, we can criticize, we can cuss, we can kick our feet, we can be upset. But tip the cap to Arkansas, guys. They're, they're, they're the number one ranked team in the country for a reason. And I, I really thought, hey, you can disagree with this. I know some people on social media did. I think you gave the number one team in the country hell all weekend long. And you didn't take advantage of certain opportunities when you had the chance. You know, when you look at this series, losing game three, in my opinion, that wasn't the issue. It was losing game one. And the game one blues just continue for this team for whatever reason. And poor Thomas Farr, yet again, I've said this over and over. I'm repeating myself, but poor Thomas Farr. I mean, that Friday, that, that, excuse me, that Thursday night game, Thomas Farr, seven innings pitched, five hits, four runs, three earned, two walks, five strikeouts. I think Thomas Farr put to bed all of the, oh, we should move him back in the rotation talk. Oh, he, he should be in the bullpen talk. No, no, no. Thomas Farr is a Friday night guy. He is a number one. He is an ace for a reason. Period, point blank, end of story. And I think Thomas Farr, thankfully, because I was getting really tired. I got to be honest. I was getting really tired of hearing it and seeing it. I think Thomas Farr showed everyone against arguably the best lineup in all college baseball. He's a legit dude, bro. He's a legit dude. Okay. But the game one blues continue. It all comes back to inconsistent hitting. But that game one to me is where you lost the series. I told you guys when we went into it, you were not going to beat Arkansas if you lost game one. You had to shake off the game one blues at home. And you had to take advantage of a good quality, another good quality, Thomas Farr start. You know, you look back at game one. I thought the guy that you faced on, on Thursday night, I don't want to say he, was, he wasn't. He's, he's Listen, he's a really good arm. But I thought he was very hittable. I didn't think it was anything special. 88 to 90, you know, good breaking ball, but you had him on the ropes multiple times. You had bases loaded in the first inning with two outs. And that ball, of course, Josiah Seitler hits it, hits off a rock or something. And the guy, you know, was able to snag it and tag out first. Those, you know, and of course, later in that game, you had first and second, nobody out. Opportunity in that game, one-to-one ball game. You asked Josiah Seitler to bunt, which I'll speak to that decision. I don't dislike the decision to bunt. I don't. One-one ball game, both pitchers are throwing great. You feel like, hey, this is a game where if we get a run or two here, we're going straight to our bullpen and we're going to take a game one. So, hey, let's play for a run here. I don't dislike the decision to bunt. What I dislike is the decision to bunt with Josiah Seitler. That is my issue. That is my – because, I, I, listen, I am a bit of an old-school guy, old-school baseball guy in the sense of, like, I still like bunting. I think bunting is smart. I think bunting is a good idea. Listen, I don't bunt on a video game, but this is real-life baseball. And when you need a run and you're playing for a run, bunting is a pretty good idea. I know all the analytics, what they say, this, that. You know, you only have 27 outs. They're precious, whatever. I still like the idea of bunting, believe it or not. I do. I think there's a place for it. There's a time and a place for a good, well-executed bunt. But with Josiah Seitler at the plate, 
and it doesn't work, that's what kills you. You know, and that's one that Kingston certainly will be questioned for. But game one to me is where you lost this series. You had opportunities. You didn't capitalize. And against the number one team in the country, you have to capitalize. Because I told you guys, and you saw it play out on Friday, Arkansas is just way too good of a team to expect to beat them twice in one day. They just are. And I thought it was a really gutsy win, a really good win to beat them in that game too, six to two, the way you did. I, I thought that was a really, really great effort by this ball club. Really good. Really gutsy late in that game, getting to their bullpen, you know, finding a way to scratch out six runs. But of course, guys, as we know, the number one issue with this team right now is just consistency of the plate. That, that's it. This team has the makings of a team that could go really, really deep in the postseason. Like, I like this team a lot. I still like this team a lot. You know, and I, I know South Carolina came into this series, this past series, ranked 11th. I don't think they should fall very far. I mean, you lost two or three to number one. Okay. And South Carolina this season has lost three series to Arkansas, Vandy, and Texas, who are all ranked top five. I mean, are you really going to sit here and say South Carolina's not a good ball club? It's bogus. It's BS. Yes, they are. They are a good ball club. But as we all know, consistency at the plate is this team's number one issue. Bottom line, it's the number one issue. And you're going to continue to see elite pitching. You are. You know, I think a lot of it comes back to, I feel like it's got to be mental. I feel like it has to be mental. Because we've seen this team hit great pitching. We've seen these guys hit. We know they can hit. But there, 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 there seems to be some disconnect. There seems to be a disconnect somewhere. I don't really know what it is. Because right now you have one guy hitting 300. And he's barely over it, and that's Brady Allen. So if you can get the hitting figured out, I mean, you go from being a really, really good club to a great club, in my mind. But a lot of people ask me, Chris, does the approach at the plate need to change? I don't think so. You know, the, 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 the approach has been the same all year. The approach has been the exact same all year. And... So I don't think that's an issue, man. I really think a lot of it's mental. And I don't know how you fix that. Well, I do. You got to keep swinging. <laughs> you got to keep swinging bottom line and hope maybe, a, you know, a midweek game against Citadel or, you know, whatever. Maybe, that'll, maybe that can start to help some of the issues you have. But consistency at the plate is the number one issue because you have the pitching. You know, like I said, Thomas Farr, he returned to form. I know Will Sanders had an off night on, on, on Friday night. Which, you know, the way he's thrown, what do you expect? You know what I mean? The kid's been elite the last couple of starts. He was due for a game where he was a little bit off. And I think he'd tell you he was a little bit off, and that's totally fine. He's going to have a ton more great starts for you. But to beat Arkansas, you had to swing the sticks. We said that going in. Arkansas is a good offensive club, and they're a good team overall. But they can swing it. And for the most part, your pitching staff held them in check. I mean, you held them to 13 runs in three games, guys. We're talking about an Arkansas team that averages scoring 12 runs a game. So, yeah, I'd say pitching did their job. No question. Pitching did their job. And I got to be honest, I was starting to get a little triggered at Founders Park because I'm a former pitcher. 
And I see our pitchers out there battling their asses off and, and doing everything they can to keep us in ball games and help us win. The, the hitting's got to pick it up. I mean, the hitting has got to pick us up. And I, I, I know the hitters know that. I know Kingston knows that. But that is this team's number one issue, consistency at the plate. And I say consistency. I think there's good hitters on this team. I do. I still believe that. But it's just way too much feast or famine right now. And I don't understand that. Like, when we score, we just score in bunches. It just, we're either scoring three or four, we're scoring nothing. You know, you scored the one run in the fourth inning in game one. Colin Burgess with the, I think, the sack fly. And then Friday, you know, you did nothing to the sixth, put up a four spot. And then in the eighth, you find a way to put up a two. But outside of that four spot, guys, you scored a run, a two spot in the eighth, and you scored a single run in the bottom of the third on a Brady Allen homer. You know, game one and game three combined for four hits. It's just not good enough. It's just not going to get the job done. And again, tip your cap to Arkansas. They got big-time legit arms too. But the hitting's got to be better. And, and I'll say this. South Carolina baseball has the same problem, guys, that a lot of other schools have. I've said that many times this year. A lot of teams in the SEC have elite-level pitching. But the hitting's the question. The hitting is the question. We are one of those teams. And I guess that is my final takeaway, guys. And again, something you guys might not like hearing. First thing is this. Am I disappointed we lost two or three? Yeah, sure. But am I upset? Am I saying the season's over? Absolutely not. Guys, realistically, when you looked at this schedule in the preseason and you looked at who you played and where you played them and the series that you had, you know, you looked at it and said, okay, these are the series we feel good about that we should win. Okay, these are the series that are 50-50, they're toss-ups, we'd like to win. These are the series that, okay, we'd like to win two or three, but here's the thing, just don't get swept. That is priority number one, do not get swept, because it's going to be tough. And those series are as follows. Vanderbilt, Mississippi State, and Arkansas. That was one of them. Arkansas is the number one team in the country. And, guys, it leads me to this. Like I said, you guys might not like hearing it yet. I picked this team to go to the Super Regionals, but no farther. And the reason is because South Ghana is a really good ball club. And I, I'm not saying, hey, if this team gets hot at the right time, if they get hot at the plate, this Gamecocks pitching staff has enough to go all the way. I mean, I think our pitchers are that good. And we're that deep on the bump. But the Gamecocks – aren't quite at that elite level yet, okay? Because there's tiers in college baseball. Just look at the SEC alone. You know, you have your Vandys, your Arkansas, your Mississippi States. And then there's a drop-off. Not a very big one, but there is a drop-off. And that's where you have your South Carolinas, your Floridas, your, your, uh, your, your LSUs. Your, Georgia, your Tennessees, excuse me, your Georgias. South Carolina's in that second tier right now. And that's not a, that's not a bad thing. It's not a not. That's a really damn good tier, folks. To be in that tier, South Carolina's a really, really good ball club. 
but they're not quite on that elite level yet. You know, that, that level where like if Vandy and Arkansas do not make it to Omaha, this will be a massively, massively disappointing season with the talent they have and, and just everything top to bottom. You know, I think the Gamecocks probably look at the roster. We need two or three more quality bats. We do. And maybe one more power arm. But that's not, I'm not taking away from how good I think this team still is. You lost two or three to number one in the country, guys. If you're upset about that and you're, and you're belittling this team and you're kicking them when they're down and saying they're no good, you're just an asshole. There's no other way to put it. You're just an asshole. And you don't understand the game of baseball. And if, hey, I'll tell you this, by the way, on a side note, if you still think Thomas Farr is the issue, you really don't understand the game of baseball. You got to do something this week to find consistency at the plate. You got to do something to find consistency. Because you look ahead. I know I'm jumping ahead of myself, but you look ahead. You got the Citadel tomorrow, who you've already beaten. You got the Citadel tomorrow in Columbia. But then you go to Oxford. And Ole Miss can swing it. They can swing it as good, if not better, than Arkansas. As good, if not better, than LSU. Like, they can swing the stick. So you're going to have to swing it to win. Bottom line. You're going to have to swing it to win. So you got to figure something out this week, whether it's a slight tweak to the approach, whether it's something mentally, you got to figure something out. All right, let's move to TSUS Series MVP, guys. And I went back and forth on this one. You know, not a lot of guys at the plate to give it to, so I'm going to give it to a pitcher and a guy that has been absolutely dominant this season. You know, I got this question last week of, you know, it was for my buddy Dirt, by the way. <clears throat> it was, Chris, who do you feel like is a guy that you were, you were expecting good things out of but has even surprised you beyond that and impressed you? And it's this guy right here. It's Andy Peters. Uh, what he's done, you know, I thought he'd be a solid piece for you out of the bullpen, you know, nice, whatever. Dude, he's been dominant. And he did that yet again this weekend. Three innings pitched, zero hits, zero runs, zero earned, one walk, and three strikeouts. I mean, bro, that's shoving. That is shoving. You know, and he single-handedly in game two, you know, you think when he came in, he came in, what, the fifth? I mean, he kept South Carolina in that ball game. That was a one nothing ball game, Arkansas. The Gamecocks put the four spot up in the bottom of the six, shut down and boom, shut down and boom. Just took care of his business. He has been absolutely dominant with you. And that bridge from Brandon Jordan to Brett Carey, that was massively important for getting that game two dub. So, again, my TSUS series MVP, Andy Peters. Again, three innings pitch, zero hit, zero runs, zero earned, one walk, and three strikeouts. Absolutely dominant this past weekend. Let's do it a slap dig of the weekend, guys. And this one's kind of funny, but they deserve it. It's Arkansas Twitter. No question. I did not realize how crazy Arkansas Twitter was until this past weekend. My mentions got flooded, absolutely flooded with Arkansas fans. It was insane. It was absolutely insane. You know, from the Bob Moore bat flip stuff to, you know, just everything else. And they were real quiet after game two. But, man, did they let me have it after game three. It was wild. It was nuts. So, Arkansas Twitter, congratulations. If you're tuned in, you get the Slap Dick of the Weekend Award. Congratulations to you all. All right, let's move to who's hot, who's not, guys. Who's hot? Got to give it to Brett Carey. He's been unhittable for you this year. Another save for him. That is now, 
what, I think four? Yeah, four saves in the year for Brett. He went one and one third innings pitched, one hit, no runs, no earned, and three strikeouts. Uh, great stuff from Brett as always. And again, he gets that save for you in the lone win of the weekend. Who's not? I, I hate to pile up on this dude. I, I hate, I feel like I'm picking on him. I, I don't want it to be that way, but Wes Clark is, is as ice cold as ice cold can get right now. This weekend against Arkansas, one for 11 with six strikeouts. Guys, in his last 11 games, Wes Clark is 5 for 38. That is a 132 batting average with three RBI. Listen, I still think Wes Clark is a good hitter. I think he'll snap out of it. I think he'll be fine. But he is as cold as cold. He is the definition of who's not. He's the definition of ice cold. And it's killing this lineup. I'll be totally honest with you. It's killing this lineup. That's something I didn't mention earlier in my key takeaways. You know, how do you find more consistency at the plate? You got to get your big guys going. You know, Andrew Eister, Braylon Wimmer, and hey, Wes Clark. Wes Clark's lack of production, it's just killing you, man. It's just killing you. I don't know, you know, what it is that pitchers have figured out he can't hit a breaking ball or it's something mental with Wes. I, I figure to think it's something more mental with Wes Clark. But there's an issue there. There's an issue, bottom line. So, Wes Clark, for me, the who's not. Again, one for 11 with six strikeouts with the weekend. And, guys, his last 11 games, five for 38, a 132 average with three RBIs. Guys, let's talk about what's next for South Carolina baseball. I know I mentioned a little bit earlier, you got the midweek game tomorrow against the Citadel at Founders Park, which is interesting that you play the Citadel again. So, whatever. Got the Citadel tomorrow night, Founders Park. And then you go back on the road, a weekend series in Oxford, Mississippi, against the Ole Miss Rebels, which again, I think is going to provide a, it's going to be a huge series an absolutely pivotal series for you. A series. I think you really, really, really need to win two out of three. And again, we'll break all that down. We'll break the Citadel, Citadel game down tomorrow, all that good stuff. But again, that's going to do it guys for the Arkansas series recap and breakdown guys. Let's move it. Let's move into some news and notes really quickly and some very interesting notes, by the way. Um, a couple that pertain to yours truly. What a dude, it was an insane weekend for me and for the Spurs Up show. A couple of big things that happened. Number one, shout out to my guy Birch Antley, who you guys might remember. We had him on the podcast at a fantastic interview and a conversations with him a couple of episodes ago. Birch Antley shouting out the rowdy roosters and yours truly on the SEC Network Plus broadcast. And I posted that, guys. It, Again, I, I can't thank my guy Birch enough. I, I really don't want the credit for it. I, it just was something where, hey, we have a fantastic fan base. We have great students. We have rowdy students and people that support Gamecocks baseball, and I felt like they needed a nickname. And, like, you know what? Rowdy Roosters got some momentum, and it just stuck, and boom, here you go. So, But I appreciate my guy Birch Antley for showing us love, for showing the fans love, the crowd. The crowd was amazing. I really, really appreciate you guys. And I, like I said, I appreciate Birch Antley, man. That was that was incredible. You know, I, I don't think I ever envisioned hearing my name called on any type of SEC network telecast. And it was, uh, I mean, it's still pretty surreal, still pretty incredible. So, Birch, thank you, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. Another big thing that happened, shout out to the head football coach, my guy, Shane Beamer, throwing the Spurs up show, the retweet, and not even just the retweet, the quote tweet, Shane Beamer. Real, recognize real, my dude. Thank you so much. I was like giddy 
when that happened on Saturday. I was straight up giddy. You guys probably saw the reaction when I was sitting there playing NCAA, and I was like, oh, my God. I, like, lost it. I was like a kid on Christmas. It was incredible. Shane Beamer tweeting at us. Also, at the spring game, I was shown on the Jumbotron at the spring game wearing the Beamer ball shirt. Again, the weekend was nuts, guys. Would have never happened under the Muschamp era, I'm sure. And uh, just wild. Just, just wild. Beyond words. Absolutely wild. Uh, last thing really quickly, you know, one quick note. The yellow coats at Founders Park and the, the, the what took place in game three with not allowing the students to be rowdy and to do their job. You know, I'll probably make a video about this this week. But here's the solution. Ray, Bob, everyone involved, if you're listening, here's the solution. If you don't want the students going behind the visiting dugout because there are season ticket holders down there and whatever it may be, because whatever you're doing right now is stupid and it doesn't work, okay? You're going to drive students away again. I thought we were past this. They don't want to sit in the outfield bleachers, and I can't blame them. It's, uh, no, they shouldn't be put out there. Here's what you need to do. Ray Tanner, Bob Cass, and everybody listening, give them section one. Give them back the berm and right field. Get rid of these stupid little pods out there in right field and give the students back their section. Because the students need a designated area. And you can't say it's COVID. You can't say it's social distancing because, bro, they're all piled up at third base anyways. Like, it looks stupid. Give them back the berm. Give them back section one. And let our students, let the rowdy roosters out of their cages, okay? Let the rowdy roosters out of their cages. Let them be rowdy. Let them do their thing. That's all I'm going to say on that. Like I said, I'm probably going to have a video on it this week. I, I just, it's ridiculous. I know, I know we're not like thinking about it too much because it happened Friday night, but it is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Stop killing our home field advantage. Bottom line, fans made a difference in game two, dude. Stop killing it. Stop. All right, let's move into, we got a voicemail and some listener questions, guys. Let's go ahead and jump into that. Hey, Chris. Uh, it's been a while since I called. You know I had to call after the spring game. Um, first impressions, you know, it's, uh, obviously wasn't a very conventional spring game. Uh, I don't think anybody would, would disagree with that. Uh, seeing a lot of hype around Jason Brown, yeah, I thought he looked really good. See some people, I don't want to say already starting to get on the quarterback controversy. I, I think Luke Doty is fully, you know, got got that in the bag. But I think a lot of things, a big thing that people forget is that the reason Luke Doty is a starter is his running run ability, his escape ability, and really can't show that off in a scrimmage. So uh, people take a step back and think about that <clears throat> when, when when analyzing the quarterback. Would I like to see more shots downfield, more big plays? Obviously, and and a lot of people are seen criticizing the stuff in the game that really wasn't a lot of explosiveness, a lot of little runs here and there. It's like look. I would have loved for the offense to come out there all over the place, get the receivers involved, take some big shots, get some chunk plays. But then the same naysayers would be saying, oh, the defense is trash. Well, you know, I mean, it, it's a scrimmage. It, no, no matter what happens, you, you're going to take some negative out of it. So 
I, I see some positive. I see some little concerns, but I also see some positive. One, I think the defensive front is going to be really strong. I think if there's one thing that we can point to with Will Muschamp and his recruiting, I think he's got some studs on that defensive front. Kingsley and Barre. I think Zach Pickens is due for a big year. I think JB Jordan Burch is really. I, I think that this is his time to really burst onto the scene. We got some other guys that can really step up. How about Debo Williams? I mean, we heard this kid hit people. He loves to pop people, and you got to see a total blast there. I can't wait to see him in the season. Still got to wait to see Kevin Harris and Marshawn Lloyd. Wait to see the tandem there. Would have loved to see more from the receivers. Dak Joyner looked pretty good. EJ Jenkins looks every bit the part of a red zone threat. So just wanted to get some comments out there. Looking forward to the show on Monday. Talk to you later. Tim, great stuff, man. It's always great to hear from you. And, man, I, I feel like he just uh, summarized the entire hour or so long show in a two-minute voicemail. And that was good. I mean, uh, I, I agree with you. What you said, especially with, you know, it, it is a scrimmage, right? There's not much you can take away in regards to there's positives here, there's negatives there, whatever. Um, I'm going to go backwards. Um, you know, speaking, I, I can't wait either to see Marshawn Lloyd and, and Kevin Harrison, what they can do for you. Debo Williams, absolutely, that mentality, like I talked about earlier, I think he could certainly bring that. The, the, the front seven, you know, and the defensive front, um, like you said, that, that's going to be the strength of this defense, no question, but one of the strengths of this team overall. Wide receiver position, certainly, like you said. Dak, I think it's going to be a dude for you. EJ Jenkins, if nothing else, is going to be a big-time, you know, red zone threat and a guy that you can go to down there. And, and uh, I, I mean, he needs to be getting the, the fade ball at least three, four times a game. But to the quarterback position, like you said, man, I, I agree with you. You know, one of the reasons Luke Doty won that job is his mobility. And did he get to show it off in the spring game? No, he did not. So, you know, I, I just think that trying to draw, again, trying to draw conclusions about the quarterback competition right now off of what you see from a spring game, I, I don't know if it's the best idea. I, I really, really don't. You know, if Shane Beamer says duty's, duty, if Shane Beamer says Doty is QB1, I'm rocking with Doty as QB1, to be totally honest with you. Like, obviously, he sees something. He likes something. He sees the leadership. He sees the mobility. Jason Brown, I think, again, guys, the main takeaway from me is this. It's not even about who's QB1 right now, because guess what? Who cares who's QB1 right now? We don't play tomorrow. It doesn't matter. We have five months till kick. What matters is, you know what? There is a legit competition there. And I think Jason Brown can push Luke Doty. Because you know what? If we do get to the season, if we go out there against Eastern Illinois and Luke Doty can't throw it, we got a guy on the bench who can throw it. So I think that's a positive. I think it's only a good thing for South Carolina football to have a competition at the most important position. But right now, yeah, like Shane Beamer said, and I agree, I don't think, it, I don't think Luke Doty did anything to quote-unquote lose the job in that spring game yesterday. I just don't. I just don't. All right, let's move to the listener questions, guys, and we'll jump in this interview and wrap this thing up. Krusty Andy, thoughts on our receivers? Need to improve. Need to find some dudes. Got a lot of guys. Need to find dudes. Uh, he also says, rank one, two, three, our offense, defense, special teams. Uh, man, that's kind of tough. Uh, offense, one, special teams, two, defense, three. Let's see. Here's an interesting question. T. Jeffrey 07 says, next name on the outfield wall. Boy, there's a lot of them that need to be out there. Um, bro, I don't even know. I mean, there, there's a ton. There's a ton that need to go up. Selfishly, I mean, Justin Smoke, Kit Balk Knight, who was a Golden Spikes Award winner, uh, Jackie Bradley Jr., Whit Merrifield. 
Michael Roth. I mean, the list can go on and on. There, there, there's a lot of guys that need to be recognized for kind of baseball. Let's see. Caitlin Melton says, the SEC broadcast said a quarter of the team is injured. Leftover from Muschamp, is Harris okay? Um, a lot of the team was nicked up, banged up. But again, Caitlin, if we played tomorrow, would, or if we played today or whatever, would they have played in the game? Yeah. It's a lot, I think, small, nagging stuff. I, I think we're fine. It's stuff that you don't need to push guys to, to play through a spring game for, though. Um, also, Kevin Harris, yeah, again, same thing. And he's also in a spring game. Listen, he's your, he's your number one guy. There's no reason to play him. There's no reason to put him at risk of injury, anything like that. So, you know, I don't think there's any reason to be concerned. Kevin Harris will be 110% and full ready to go this fall. Uh, and so will the rest of the guys. I, I think it's more precautionary and, hey, giving some other guys chances, giving some other guys chances that maybe aren't going to get to see the field quite as much, or at least at this point, aren't slated to get to see the field that much this fall. Uh, Bry Brizzle, what are your thoughts about the kicker competition? Mitch Jeter showed it. They, Mitch Jeter did look good. Shout out to Mitch Jeter. I mean, I think Parker White's your starting kicker, no question. But, uh, you know, I think Mitch Jeter, certainly, at least for the future, if nothing else, I think he'd be a guy for you. Final question, Austin G underscore 45, day one starters on the D-line, also thinks Sandage is an underrated piece. Certainly, Jay Janey Barre, Zach Pickens, Tonka Hemingway, and... Mm, Strawn, probably. Jordan Strawn. I think that's probably your starting guys. And yeah, I like I like Sandage. I hope to see more from Sandage this year. I think he's a really good player. He's a really good player. Man, what a show. Today's been a mouthful, huh? <laughs> a, lot, a lot to talk about, a lot to get into. And guess what? It's not done yet. We got a great interview, a great conversation. Mark Ryan of ESPN Upstate, guys. And I know this is a conversation that is going to move. The needle, like I said, guys, I know a lot of Gamecock fans aren't a big fan of Mark Ryan's. Just give this convo a chance because, hey, if, if you guys know anything about me, I'm certainly, certainly not going to allow Mark Ryan to come on my airwaves and talk down about our Gamecocks. I promise you that. Great combo, guys. And it's all brought to you by our friends over at Manscaped. Guys, flowers are blooming, the grass is growing. It's time to chop the weeds. Thanks to our sponsor, Manscaped. You could trim your holes safely and efficiently. I'm talking about ball trimmers, of course, guys. Manscaped, the global leaders in men's blow-the-waist grooming. They have an exclusive offer for our audience. Use the promo code TSUS to get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Guys, join the other 2 million men who trust Manscaped. They're here to make sure you're trimming and smelling nice. After all, it is time for spring cleaning, guys. Spring is sprung. Manscaped has the best tools to get you ready, guys. We've all been there, right? We're getting ready for a big night, or we're kind of just doing our thing. We get a cut, we get a nick, we're bleeding, it stings, it hurts. It's the worst. Leave that in 2020, guys. Manscaped is here to help you out. They're the global leaders in men's blow-the-waist grooming and have forever changed the grooming game with their amazing products. They're also here to help you with your above-the-waist holes as well. Guys, have you heard of their Weed Whacker? This nose and ear hair trimmer provides proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. Guys, no more gross nose hairs flying in the wind. Guys, the Premium Manscaped Weed Whacker uses a 9,000 RPM motor, 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. Manscaped's making whacking your weeds a time to look forward to delivering maximum confidence while providing hygiene. And guys, speaking of incredible hygiene, Manscaped has formulations to keep you fresh and ready for everything that comes your way all day, guys. The prop, the crop preserver, excuse me, is an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. It's starting to get hot in Columbia. Hey, it's starting to get hot in South Carolina. This is crucial. So your balls will stop sticking to your leg, guys. That is the legitimate worst. You need that crop preserver. You're also going to find the crop reviver, spray-on toner for your balls, which will keep you smelling fresh down there, just like spring flowers. And guys, speaking of smelling fresh, complete your grooming game this spring with a new refined cologne signature scent by 
Manscaped. Guys, this stuff is legit. Is legit. I can't even say it. The stuff's legit. Guys, I love the cologne. What else can I say? It's going to have you smelling like royalty. The cologne's a light, approachable, and gentlemanly in all the right ways. You're going to be the talk of the next tailgate with this Manscaped cologne, folks. I love this stuff. I swear by it. Smell good and feel good this spring. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TSUS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TSUS at manscaped.com. Guys, it's spring cleaning and your balls will thank you. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools to got job. Guys, appreciate you all tuning in. Now enjoy this conversation with Mark Ryan of ESPN Upstate. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show, guys, a conversation, an interview I, I'm very excited for. This man, I feel like, needs no introduction, does fantastic work in the Upstate. Before he got to the Upstate, though, in Greenville, South Carolina, he worked in both the Tampa and Houston markets, so he has been around some big markets in his day in radio, currently in Greenville, like I said, guys, with ESPN Upstate hosting Offsides with Mark Ryan from 3 to 7. And like I said, a guy similar to me that, that moves the needle here and there, but feels like I feel like you've been quiet a little bit on social media here late. You and I both, though, right? I think we got over the, uh, the Twitter madness. We got over that drama a little bit ago. But again, very pleased, very excited to be joined by, again, host of Offsides with Mark Ryan every single day from 3 to 7. Mark Ryan himself, the man, the myth, the legend, Mark What's going on, man? I appreciate you taking the time. And, of course, I want to mention somebody who has extended a hand, has allowed me to grace the airwaves with him, talk Gamecocks, talk everything, talk sports. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you, sir, and I truly appreciate you taking the time, man. What's up? Uh, Chris, congratulations to you and your success. Uh, Self-made media mogul there in uh, Columbia, South Carolina. And uh, I have a tremendous amount of respect for anyone like you, who has built their own brand and has really pounded the pavement. I'll tell you, Chris, uh, when I got started in, in media, it was like uh, 2000, uh, 2005, right? I bought my own show, Chris, and I bought one hour a week in Orlando, Florida, and it cost me $1,000 a month. This was in 2005, right? I, I, I bought the show, Chris, three months before it began, right? And so I didn't owe any money until we were on the air, which gave me three months of time to sell the show. Chris, if I didn't have that $1,000 made up in sponsors in three months, mm. I had no show. Right. So I'm going around and I'm telling area businesses, look, these other people want your money mm. and there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm out to pursue my dream, man. If mm. this advertising doesn't work for you, my dream is dead. So I have a whole new level of motivation to make this work. And man, over a period of time, we sold out the show. And because we sold out the show, then the station owner caught his eye and we uh, we he brought us on full time. We hosted evening time ESPN radio in Orlando. And in 2009, we were named the best sports radio show in Orlando by the Orlando Sentinel uh, newspaper. Mm -hmm. So um, so it just goes to show you, man, those people that work in this business and you have the same drive and the same M.O., they get after it, man. Mm -hmm. They get after it. They will not be deterred. And I respect the hell out of the fact that you have that drive and I respect the hell out of your authenticity. We, we, people don't need me to name names, right? But we all know who Homer media is right. in, in our respective markets. Mm. These people, like whenever the team loses, they just post the score. You know, it'll be like uh, Florida six Gamecocks three, which we all know didn't happen because the Gamecocks swept <laughs> the Gators. Right. But, right. but the Homer media just posts the score. They never post critique. They never post anything about Darla Moore, 
You know what I mean? Yeah, I have no yeah. res- I have no respect for those people. Yeah. You know, people that your, your audience wants authenticity. Yeah. Your audience wants an opinion. Mm-hmm. You will grow a larger audience in the long run. If you if you give people your opinion, even if it's not what they want to hear sometimes, and you're doing that. So congratulations. Mark, I appreciate the kind words, man. I do agree with you. I would say people want to be challenged. And we could spend the entire show just talking about the, the landscape of media and how it works, everything. I think it's interesting, though. You talked about 2005. I mean, people, you know, obvious. This is obvious statement, but that's before social media. So you're literally going door to door, knocking on doors, cold calling local businesses. I want to go back, though, even before that, Mark, because I'm curious to hear you know, sort of the origin story. You're a Gator alum, of course, even though people think you're a Clemson fan, you are a Gator. Um, (laughs) So you went to UF. Just just talk about where did the, I guess, the love for media come from and radio? Did you always kind of know that was that was what you wanted to do? Was it something that sort of evolved for you? How how did you know? When did you know, hey, this is something I want to pursue as as my dream? Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, Chris, I hated the Gators. I was Florida State (laughs) fan. When I I moved to Florida in 1991, I was 13, right? Across the street from me lived the most obnoxious Gator fans that had this huge Gator RV that there was orange and they parked in the lot. And I, I wanted right. I wanted their punk asses to lose every single week, you know, plus the cool kids at school like Florida State. Let's be honest. Garnet. Let's be honest. The yeah. Gamecocks have a better color scheme than Clemson does. Orange. Sucks, I'd agree. OK, yeah. orange yeah. is awful. Whoever thought orange was a good color to put on things has no idea. Garnet and black is great. Garnet yeah. and gold was great. The cool kids like Florida State. Yeah. So anyway, for me, Chris, I had two passions, that media and music, right? Mm-hmm. And so I didn't like the Gators, but I, I toured Florida, and they had one of the best media programs in the country. I toured Florida State. They told me our media program's in transition. Florida State has the great music school. So I got into the school of music at Florida State. I got into the school of media at Florida, and then I had a decision to make. My heart was like, Florida State, man. Uh, but my head was like, man, they got a much better media program. And I think media is what I want to do. So what I get, what I did was I got a music scholarship to Florida, which sounds cool until you realize I wouldn't have gotten in without that. You know, it works (laughs) basically the same way as like a football player getting in, you know, if they want you for something, then you can have a crappy GPA and still get into a good school. (laughs) Right. So that's, that's how it worked, man. And, uh, if I had known that I didn't really need the media degree, I definitely would have gone to Florida State. But I didn't know that at the time. Mm. I, I didn't know that at the time. So I went to Florida, man. It took me about half a season before. I, it was weird, man. The first the first season, man, Florida was hosting Florida State. And I'm like, this is so odd. I feel like I should be rooting for Florida State. And right. like, am I ever going to is it ever just going to take over me naturally? This love for Florida football. It eventually did, man. And then there's no looking back. Right. Yeah. I was going to say, you definitely watched some good football, though, with Coach Spurrier and Bobby Bowden and those matchups. And, yeah, fun fun time to be in the state of – and Miami, too. Fun time to be in the state of Florida watching college football. But so you go to UF, and, again, I, what, is, what is so interesting is like we are talking, you know, off air, is just the landscape of media and the way things have changed and when social media – you know, I tell people now, you know, I tell people now it's like there's never been a better time to start a small business or be a content creator or get into something like media because, like you said – you don't need someone to hire you. Like the platform is there, which I'm sure for you, you know, coming out of UF, it's very much like hit the pavement. You know what I mean? Like you're taking whatever job, you know, it's, I've heard the stories of people going to cover middle school girls volleyball in Mississippi, which no disrespect, but I mean, you're starting from the very bottom. You don't get the college football job or the big job out of school. Just talk about that grind. Again, you already mentioned 2005, you know, you literally 
you know, paid your way to get an hour show, I guess, what, for the week you said in Orlando. And of course that right. culminated in 2009 with the accolades and, and then of course where you are today. But like, what was that like? Like, was there ever a time where you sort of questioned like, Hey, is this seriously what I want to do? I mean, is this really worth all the, all the work I'm putting in? Cause of course on the journey, we all know for anybody who's been on that journey, that doubt at some point can creep in. And that's why I always tell people, you know, if you're going to do something like that, <clears throat> you got to do what you love to do. Because if you don't love it, the first time it gets hard, you're going to quit. So what was that journey like for you, again, going from you graduate UF to yeah. 2005? I guess you finally, I guess, maybe break through and, and get an opportunity. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, man. I was trying to figure out how to break through. I didn't, yeah. I didn't get the opportunity right away. Mm. Uh, I was working for the family business for a while. And uh, my father, through kind of a, a, a chance encounter, met the arena voice of the Orlando Magic, who happened to have his own show that he hosted in Tampa. And I was able to get a lunch with this guy. His name was Paul Porter. Um, and I said, Paul, I need to know how you get into this business. And he said, Mark, there's two ways. You can either sweep. I'll never forget this, Chris. He said, you can, you can sweep the floors for 10 years and hope to get lucky. Or you can make a little bit of money outside of radio and then buy your own show. And that sounded much better to me than sweeping the floors for 10 years and getting lucky. That's just more my style anyway. So I busted my hump in sales. I waited till I had $5,000 in the bank, right? And then I went around to different stations in Orlando. Which one of you guys is going to give me the best deal? I'm ready to roll. Mm -hmm. And it was ESPN radio in Orlando. And that's how we got going. There were, there were times, Chris, where you're like, oh my God, I'm short of paying the station bill this month. How am I going to get there? And then, dude, I kid you not, like at the last in the 11th hour, a sponsor would come on board mm. and it always just felt like it was <clears throat> meant to be yeah. right. Mm. I went from uh, buying my own show in Orlando to the morning show in the Florida Panhandle, then tried the buying my own show approach again to get to Atlanta, then connected with a big station in Atlanta. Right. 92.9 the game in Atlanta mm. uh, and then became full time in Tampa, uh, was promoted to afternoon drive in Tampa where I worked with Booger McFarland. Then uh, after nine years, Chris, of building up to working and getting to that dream job point, um, I had the heartbreak of my life, man. Our CBS was trying to get out of radio. They were There was a 13-station trade. They didn't see my no-trade clause? What the heck, man? <laughs> uh, they traded us to a company named Beasley. Beasley yeah. said, we're not going to continue sports in Tampa Bay. Booger McFarland, I, we were the number one sports show in Tampa. We all lost our jobs. Wow. And I'd worked nine years to get to that point. In an eight-month period of time, I lost my dream job. I lost my fiance. I lost my home. I lost my puppy. I lost, I lost all these things that I'd worked so hard for. Then it was depressing as hell. And then, you know, you reach the point where you're just picking yourself up. And I, I decided, Chris, that I wasn't going to accept peanuts anymore. You know what I mean? Like if I didn't get a good job, a, a well-paying salary job, I wasn't going to do it anymore. And so I became a high school media teacher in Houston. I was doing sports radio part-time. And I just said, I can do this forever. I'm not going to accept hourly wage anymore. It's not going to happen. And then this opportunity came in, uh, in the upstate, man. Um, you know, largest market in the state. And, uh, and I, I hope that I found my happily ever after. Mm. I've been jealous of guys forever that found like their market, found like their niche, right. found their happily ever after, because mm. I've been bounced around and kicked so much. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I've been kicked so much, Chris. So mm. uh, it's, it's, it's been a joy. It's, it's been awesome to work with a team of people that believe in me and believe in the kind of brand of radio that I do. 
which is just opinionated, Chris. Right. That, that's what it is. I'm not, it's not shock. A shock jock fabricates an opinion to get a response. Mm. My natural opinions my whole life have been getting a response. I have never fabricated anything for clickbait. That's just my opinion. Okay. So, um, and, and I see you doing the same thing. You're not, right. you're not trying to incite people. <laughs> You right. just naturally do incite yeah. people. If, if you were, yeah. I was just going to say, not to cut you off, if you were doing that, people don't realize if you were doing that, at some point it will catch up to you because you're going to say yeah. something that contradicts something. And it's like, oh, you know, at some point that will catch you. just can't. I don't, I don't think you can, you can make a living realistically or build a brand doing that. Just so let me, let me, let me, this. let me, let me address my beef with you. Okay. <laughs> let me address my beef with you. Fair you enough. only retweet the negative stuff. You, from you, you from like you. the, you, you like the positive stuff. You retweet the negative stuff. Now, I guess every once in a while, if you like something, it puts it in your timeline every once in a while. Right. Um, but you only retweet the negative stuff. Why is that? We love the banter, man. It's not negative. Okay. It's just banter. It's okay. just I don't see, see. I don't see it as negative. I just see it as banter, which is good. Okay. I enjoy okay. banter. I enjoy it. It's so, good, clean so banter. So let's get to this forever to the thing. Okay. Let's oh, get to Jesus. forever. Today. Hold on. Okay. Before we before we do, yeah. before we do, because I, I, I want to hear first. I wanted to ask you this again. Yeah. You were in Tampa, you were in Houston, and, and again, yeah. that, that Houston market especially is huge. And now you're in Greenville. I was just gonna say, what do you feel like you learned most from those gigs that prepared you to do what you're doing again in Greenville with ESPN Upstate? Because obviously, you guys, and you can mention the accolades if you want, but you guys have had a ton of success with your with your program. Man, thank you very much. Um, yeah. So, so what prepared me for this, Chris? What, what I mean, is that the question? Yeah. Just what, what did you learn? I guess, what were your biggest takeaways from it? That like, yeah. again, cause like you said, you've been, you've been kicked, you've been beaten, you've been battered, you've been bruised, but yeah. I would argue it probably prepared you, you know, and it hardened you to a point where, I mean, nothing's going to take you down at this point. That's the way I would look at it. Yeah. No, I, I think, I think Chris that, um, you know, you learn something at each and every one of your stops. You learn the kind of radio you want to do. The, you learn the kind of broadcast that you don't want to do. Um, you know, at my different stops, you know, I had a tremendous time working with, uh, with Booker McFarland in Tampa. Uh, he and I became close. We became friends. But I'll tell you what, man, uh, there was an adjustment because when I started working with him, I, he was kicking my ass on a daily basis. I specifically remember a time where I was fe feeling really beaten up, you know, and it wasn't it wasn't like malicious. But, you know, it, when we started, it was like I'm Booger McFarlane and you're the little white guy. You know what I'm saying? And I was just getting my ass kicked. Yeah. And I, I specifically remember a time where I, I needed to get out of the studio because right. I'm just I'm, I'm like, man, I'm just getting my butt kicked in here. And I went to lie on a, on a, in a couch in the radio station building. My program director walked by. He, he was listening to the show, so he knew what was going on. And this is what he said. He goes, Mark, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. You know, and he, and he sang that song to me. And it, and it just it resonated with me, man. Oh, and so what man. I started to do is I started to punch Booger back. Yeah. One time on the air, Booger was trying to say the annals of history. He actually said the annals of history. God. And, so, and so we did this whole bit. Tomorrow we go deep inside the annals of history. Booger <laughs> takes you where no man has ever gone before. Oh, right. Man. And I, I, when I started hitting him back, yeah. he started respecting me more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the yep. show took off yeah. and it was like radio's version of the odd couple. Yeah. We had nothing in common whatsoever, but, but we, we started to take off. It started to, it started to go really well. And we became the number one uh, African drive sports show in Tampa. 
And that's, I love that. so, so you, you pick up something wherever you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, Houston, man, when I was there, it was a very safe radio station. Um, you know, it was, you know, it was kind of like you kiss the butt of the Houston Texans, yeah. right? I was going to say hell, hell of a time to be in the Houston market right now. That's for sure. <laughs> so, so, you know, the station that I was at has adopted a level of realism and, and um, authenticity that is great to see because the fans have had it with that team. The yeah. fans have had it with that organization. Yeah. You know, the fans are rooting before all this masseuse stuff, right? Mm. The fans were rooting for Deshaun Watson <laughs> to get out of their own city. Yeah. yeah. Think about that. Yeah. Think about that for a minute, right? Yeah, because they want the best for him, and they know their organization's right. a dumpster fire. Yeah, yeah. Let's, so, so, yeah. So, Mark, let, let's get into the Gamecock stuff because I know you want to talk specific topics. That, but I'm just curious again. You get what year did you get to Greenville again? What year was it? Uh, the first show was January 14th, 2019. 2019. Okay, I, I want to run something by you that's kind of funny that I know you don't remember. What you don't okay. realize is you and I actually met before, way before I ever came on your show. Because I remember specifically, I thought back, I was like, that was definitely Mark. But it was it was 2019 at the South Carolina Clemson baseball game in Greenville. I'm sure you had just started. You were unfamiliar with Carolina Clemson, especially baseball. I remember being there, <clears throat> and I was standing on the concourse. And, you know, there was that big debate of, you know, South Carolina fans upset that it's like a home field advantage for Clemson, which, yeah, you know, yeah. especially with Clemson having success there. I mean, it definitely was like 60-40. But I remember standing there. And I turn around, and I, I just had never thought about it until I saw you and came on your show. And I think you asked me, and I looked much different then, by the way. That was no beard and like 60 pounds ago, so you probably wouldn't even recognize me. But uh, I was standing there, and I remember you were behind me because you were wearing an ESPN Upstate shirt, and you were asking yeah. about, just like really quick, you were like, you know, is the crowd always like this, or do you feel like it's a home field advantage for Clemson? And I was just like, yeah, and turned around. But for whatever reason, that snapshot in my mind of your face – so I don't I don't know if you you probably I, don't I, even dude, you probably I, I don't remember, remember that asking somebody that yeah, question. that was I me. Didn't know it was you. I didn't <laughs> yeah. know it was you because so it's kind I of funny how life comes full circle. Yeah, I think I had tweeted that it was like 80, 20 Clemson fans. Right, and right, right. The Gamecock <clears throat> fans were getting upset about that. Yeah. But what, what people don't realize, Chris, is that I'm an SEC guy. Yeah. OK, well, like, that, that was the point I was going to make is people, you know, because, again, obviously the Gamecock fans that are tuned in, I'm sure there's there's yeah. many that have certain feelings about you. But sure. see, I see where you're coming from. And with your job, you know, your, your job is to remain unbiased. Whatever. You're a national media guy. What people, I think, don't realize is that you want South Carolina to win. Because ideally, yeah. what would make your job great, and of course what would make my job great is, and I tell people the funniest thing, hey, the best thing that happened in my business, it's totally out of my control. South Carolina winning. I, I have no yeah. control how, over how many games we win. Yeah. But for you too, I mean, for ratings, for everything, for just the fun in your job, you know, Clemson, obviously, with the se- success they've had, I'm sure that's that's made you guys gig a, a lot of fun, but if there were two top ten teams in the state, I mean that's what you that's what we're all pulling for, right? I mean it makes the rivalry better, it makes the overall products better, it makes the excitement level better, which overall makes clicks, downloads, and for you ratings better. One hundred percent, Chris. I've been an SEC guy my whole life. Uh, I describe it as the SEC is family theory, right? Now it just so happens that Mark Ryan, the Gator, and uh, Columbia Gamecock Nation have not seen eye to eye of late, but the way I putting it lightly, the way I view them, the way I view uh, Gamecock fans living in Columbia is that they're a family member at the Thanksgiving dinner table. Okay, Mm -hmm. and nobody better say anything bad about them but me. 
and nobody, you know, they should have my back because we're all SEC and the SEC is family. And that's 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 what people from other conferences don't get. And that's what I think many people in Columbia probably don't realize is that I root for South Carolina in just about every single game they play. Mm. Most of my life, I rooted for South Carolina against Clemson. Yeah. Most of my life for that very reason, right? right. For, for, for the SEC is family theory. I root for Florida against South Carolina. But if South Carolina is playing Virginia in the belt bowl, I'm, I'm rooting for South Carolina, right. you know, and it's been like that my, <clears throat> my entire life. So I totally agree with you, man. Yeah. We want, I want South Carolina to, do, to fare well, not just for business, mm. but because I'm an SEC guy right. and because the Gamecocks are part of my family, <clears throat> my football right. family. Right. And, and of course, like I said, that, that's, that's all fine and dandy, but of course the, the, the people on social media maybe would disagree, but Hey, there's, there's Gamecock fans that think I hate South Carolina and I do what I do for a living. So was there ever a point? Cause I think like the first opinion I ever saw, saw you have that really blew up that pissed people off, which we can, <laughs> we can laugh about it. Right. I mean, it moves the needle, whatever. I mean, I tell people when you put out thousands of opinions, like I do, or you do, you're just bound to piss somebody off at some sure. point. Like you said, when you're genuine and have an opinion, whatever. But the first one I remember, was the Tavian Feaster thing. That was like the first one that really blew up. And there's been some others with, <clears throat> like you mentioned previously, the forever to the, the forever to the thing. And it's funny because, you know, everybody wants to pile on and, and hate and hate Mark Ryan. I say everybody. I mean, it's like 1%. I mean, really, but it's just the loud majority or loud, sure. loud, loud sector, the mob, if you will, on Twitter. But uh, it, it's been funny watching for me because I think people want me to jump jump on that. And I'm sure there's going to be people, Oh my God, how could you have Mark around the show? And it's like, I understand what Mark does and what people don't realize. And I'm, I'm willing to go out on a limb and say this. I don't care how people feel about it. I'm like, guys, you don't get it. Mark is really good at his job. Thank you. He's got, everybody's talking about it. I mean, that, and that's, that's the thing in media, as long as it's not like, you know, malicious or over the line, any attention is good attention. It is. And like you said, the, the ratings and everything speak for itself, but I guess what has it been like, navigating the waters with South Carolina fans. Because I know you and I have talked about this on your show before. You know, Gamecock fans are – we've been a little sensitive because of yeah. – we've been we, – you talk about you being beaten, battered, and bruised and kicked while you're down. That's been South Carolina football fans the last hundred years, especially the last five with Will Muschamp, you know, with, with, with that whole situation, losing inexplicable games and trying to justify, you know, the team's going in the right direction. Of course, you had somebody like me. I, I've literally had people ask me, Chris, why – why do you feel like people think you're the villain of South Carolina? I'm like, I'm a Gamecock fan. So I'm like, if I'm the villain, like Mark Ryan must be considered the devil. I mean, I, I don't know. So <laughs> I, I guess I'm just curious, like, and I don't know, have you had those same type of run-ins with Clemson fans, like those disagreements? Because I know it's yeah. much different with them because, you know, everything's going great. You're winning every game. It's easy to be positive, right? I mean, sure. you're winning every game. Like, what is there to complain about? But well, what, you, what has it been Cox, like navigating those social media waters specifically? The, the Gamecocks are actually far more interesting than Clemson is. Dude, because, I tell people, I tell not to cut you off, I tell people all the time it's crazy because I put out five shows a week. And, of course, you go on the radio five days a week. And people are like, man, like, how do you have enough to talk about? And I'm like, dude, I don't know if it's just we're that interesting or we have more drama than any school in the entire country. But I'm telling you it would feel like almost irresponsible to only do two shows a week. There's something to talk about yeah. every yeah. single day with this. So team. I'll show you, I, got, I, I got my rundown for today behind, behind you. Right. Um, if people in Columbia want to tune in, uh, just download <laughs> the Odyssey app yeah. and uh, the Odyssey app. And you can, you can get us right there on the Odyssey app. 
Just look for uh, ESPN Upstate. But I have on the rundown today, how will we know if Beamer has had a successful first season? Yeah. Well, that needs to be quantified somehow, right? Yeah. Is oh, yeah. it a bowl game? If it's not a bowl game because the ESPN FBI said they're going to win four and a half games, mm. so either four and eight or five and seven, I think they can go six and six. If they go six and six, then they can go seven and six, right? Then we said, what should the expectations be? Well, year two, win eight games, including the bowl game. Year three, win nine games. Year four, win 10 games. Sometime in the first five years, beat Clemson. Have significant expectations. That's yeah. a good thing. But I think somehow, some way, whether it's a feeling, a vibe from the fan base, a tangible win total, we've got to know if Beamer had a successful first season or not. Mm-hmm. I also have on the rundown, to what degree do baseball and the Lady Gamecocks mute the disappointment from basketball and football? So, so these different things, different things that we that we cover. But it's interesting. You mentioned the Tavian Feaster thing. What was funny about that, Chris, was that both sides were angry at me. On that yeah, one. that's that is <laughs> that's, that's how you know that. you're doing your job. That's how you know you're doing your the job. Clemson fans were like, he can go wherever he wants. If Tavian Feaster had that decision to make again, yeah. he doesn't do it because he you forever damage the relationship. Right. Well, the now, they, now they both dislike you. I mean, really, when you think yeah. like both you're tainted in both their <laughs> eyes now. So I, right, right. I see where and that's the funny thing. Like, I'm always able to see where you were coming from. Like, people are going to hate me for this. Even the forever to the forever to the thing. I can't say it today for whatever reason. The forever to the thing. I totally get what you're saying. And there's a lot of Gamecock alumni that I mean, that pissed them off. Let's but I but what but what here's the thing. Maybe because Pete, here's the thing. You and I both know this. You put an opinion out on social media, and this is why I tell people, like, I never apologize because, hey, if I produce a piece of content, I know what my intentions were behind it. How you consume it is really not my responsibility. Like, if you want to get offended just to get offended or get upset to get upset, that's not on me. That's on you. Like, I I can lay my, my head on my pillow at night, you know, because I've put content out there. You know, I've definitely put content out there that people just took the wrong way. They They... They, they misinterpreted the message, but it's like, I can lay my head on my pillow at night. Cause like, I know what the intention was. So your twisted inversion of it doesn't reflect on me. It reflects solely on you, but like uh, even uh, the forever yeah. to the thing, I get what you were saying in the sense, maybe it could have been worded a little bit differently, but what you're saying yeah. is there shouldn't just be a garnet glasses, blind, undying loyalty. You should hold the program responsible for the result they put on the field. And if they don't put said desired results on the field, you should make them pay for it in some degree, whether that's not donating as much money, that's not donating money at all, whether that's not going. And that's much easier said than done because, again, especially for alumni, and I think, honestly, Mark, I haven't really told anybody this before, I'm so glad I'm not an alumni because I think people sometimes, and this isn't knocking anybody, of course, it's a Gamecock or an alum, but, like, I think people, they get, you know, they went to school there for four years. They walked the halls. They sat on the horseshoe. They went to all the games as a student. Like, it's hard for them to detach emotionally and just see it for what it is. Like, they wanted to believe Muschamp was this good guy because he was their head coach. And I think, like, being detached, I was, be, I was able to look at the situation, take the fandom out of him, be like, he's a shit bum. He sucks. No, he's not right. good. Like, he stinks. Right. You know, and I think people obviously saw that at some point. Right. But, but, yeah. but see, that's why I respect you. Because you said that there's other Homer media in Columbia that just would post the score when they would lose, right, right. you know, no, no, no. What is your opinion on the job? Will Muschamp right. is doing. Okay. That's the job of media, not to Homer right. it up. I wish some Gamecock fans were more discerning in terms of the media members. They prop up 
They should respect those people, those voices that are willing to tell them the tough news, Mm -hmm. that are willing to be honest and authentic with them. And you've always done that. Now, on Forever to Thee specifically, we can agree, right, that Forever to Thee is asking for unconditional loyalty. Right, right. And we agree on that. And I I will say this, too. A lot of schools ask for that unconditional loyalty. It's not just South Carolina. No, I understand. But Forever to Thee is asking for unconditional And if you would also agree that unconditional loyalty is a big ask when you consider the football product that Gamecock fans have gotten. For over a hundred years, for over a hundred years. Yeah. There's no, there's no history, no tradition outside of like a four year window. That is my point. That is my point. Now, Shane Beamer has the opportunity to change that. Mm. He can change. Shane Beamer can change that. Okay. Mm. Uh, Shane Beamer can change that mantra, but the point of the whole thing in today's day and age, people don't want to, listen further. They don't want to hear you elaborate. They just want to jump all over you for 280 characters in a tweet, right? They don't want an explanation. That's what it was. It was a tweet looking out for game fans because your school is asking for unconditional loyalty from you. Chris, I only give that to my family. Okay. Mm -hmm. My family's the only, are the only people who get unconditional loyalty from me. Um, If they're going to ask for unconditional loyalty, they damn sure better be giving you a better football product than what they've been given. Okay. Uh, don't ask you guys for forever to thee if you're if they're giving you a 500 football product. Yeah. And Shane Beamer is tasked with changing that. Yeah. That's my point. Now, when framed that way, uh, where I can elaborate and explain it, hopefully Gamecock fans will realize that came from a place of looking yeah. out for you. Okay. But it's like, oh, he hates forever to thee. And I, I, will, I will say fans. this, though. I will say this. <clears throat> I don't think they need to change the alma mater or get rid of the slogan. But I get what you are saying. It, like you're you're taking a very pro sports approach to it. Like it's a business. We pay for a product. If we don't get it, we make a change. Yeah. And I, yeah. I I agree with somebody. And I even reemphasize the point somebody said on social media talking about you know Gamecock fans shouldn't just accept six and six. Or like traditions start somewhere. You know, like yeah. it wasn't Alabama didn't just pop out of college football heaven and they were just the best team ever. Clemson built tradition. You know, now they're. We just know them as, oh, they're this power. And every high school recruit knows, oh, Clemson, they're awesome. They're amazing. You build tradition, though. Clemson, it's funny. That, that's How do you tough... get history, Chris? How do yeah, you get history? You make you it, make right. It. And you, and you, you set history. that bar. You set that expectation. I've said the same thing about Gamecock basketball. Is like South Carolina can be a team that goes to the tournament every other year, but you have to have those expectations first. Hey, the best pro golfer, I love equating to this, the best pro golfer, at some point, Dustin Johnson had never broke 70 before, right? Did he just say because he had never done it, oh, it's just impossible and I'll just settle shooting 75? Well, if he did that, he wouldn't be on the PGA Tour. At some point, he raised the expectations. He raised the bar. He raised the level. He pushed himself beyond what he knew were his capabilities, and it paid off for him. If you're South Carolina, you have to do the same thing. I, I, you know, it, it, it might be tough, and again, you, you're going to have people with the excuses every single year. We've never done this in football. We've never been a power, but this, but that. We can't recruit, but... It's like you can keep making those excuses or we can hold the people accountable and get to the next level. I mean, that's, that's all it comes down to. I mean, if you really just want to boil it down to the simple points, that, that's what it is. So I agree with you in that sense. Again, I wouldn't change the alma mater or the slogan. I think that would that'd be a little much, but I get what you're saying. I get that point. Okay. Okay. Well, at least we, at least we, uh, at least we have that in common. And I guess the other thing, Chris, is, you know, like – I just feel like I've just kind of naturally disagreed. Like my honest opinion yeah. is that I've just naturally disagreed with much of what the athletic program has done. Yeah. 
Okay. I don't agree with bringing Frank Martin back. Hey, a lot of Gamecock fans disagree too. Trust me. It, it yeah, feels I, like I a complete shit show Frank at the Martin top. Back. So I, I do. I did not agree with, with letting Will Muschamp hang on as long as he did. Right. Um, you know, I did not agree, you know, like that was such an undisciplined team under Will Muschamp. Right. And so when you are, when you're naturally critical, people think you don't like their school. Oh, he's a Clemson Homer. No, Clemson's just doing a lot of things. Right. Okay. Mm, They're doing yeah. a lot of things. Right. Uh, and, but, but I'll tell you this, Chris, Shane Beamer is doing a lot of things right mm. here in the early going. He's really kind of rallying the troops. He's get, he's, he's bringing back, um, the the old guard of, of Gamecock football that was shunned by Will Muschamp. He is he is really creating a feel good vibe around this, and he's preaching accountability. I love that he said after a recent scrimmage, we don't have enough explosive plays. That needs to change. Yeah. I love that, man. Yeah. I love that because it's building accountability with the program. Yeah. I think Shane Beamer is off to a great start. Mm. Now I do feel, and as I said, we're going to discuss this on the show today. How will we know? If mm-hmm. Beamer has had a successful first season, I imagine, Chris, that it's possible for the Gamecocks to be five and seven and for positive momentum to be building and mm-hmm. for that season to be considered a success. But um, <clears throat> I think we need to quantify what is yeah. a successful year one. Mm-hmm. I, I like the energy that he has throughout the program. I know that he and people within the Gamecocks uh, athletic program think that I don't like them and they're totally that, that's totally wrong. You know, you cannot you cannot glean or discern that from a tweet about a slogan. Okay, so so anyway, that's that's my take. Yeah. You know, of course, Twitter is a place where nobody takes anything personally. Right. And it's it's all (laughs) rational opinion. Well thought out. Since we're on the subject, since we're on the topic, I know you're talking about it today. But the uh, the whole Shane Beamer thing, of course, and I agree with you, you know, the, the, the overall you know, the culture, the overall feeling around Gamecock football amongst Gamecock fans, especially, you know, the overall morale is so much better. They're saying all the right things. They're doing all the right things, all the media videos. And, you know, we're in the honeymoon phase, right? Because I tell people, you know, have realistic, have realistic expectations year one. And I'm curious to see what happens when this team goes out there in the fall, which I think there's talent on the field. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you my answer to your question in a second. This team will get punched in the mouth, though. There's no question. There's a lack of depth. There's serious issues. There's serious problems. You play Georgia week three. They're probably going to punch you in the mouth. There's no other way to put it. How does this team respond? How does Shane Beamer respond? That's what I most want to see. But to answer your question, looking at this roster, looking at this schedule, you know, you add back in the non-conference, you've got Eastern Illinois, Troy, and ECU as your three non-conference outside of Clemson. So I think and those you got to win. You have to. Yeah, there's yeah. no that I'll tell you this, arguably to me the most important game of the season is that week 2 game at East Carolina because that's a yeah. sneaky game at their place. Yeah. ECU's no slouch and it's just one of those games where you have to win. But looking yeah. at their schedule again, you have those three, you have a Vandy who you haven't lost to in like 15 years. You've got a Kentucky who hey this isn't the Will Muschamp era anymore. You feel like you should beat Kentucky. You cannot justify that you are a legitimate football program if you cannot beat Kentucky. I don't give a damn what you say. If you don't beat them, you're not, you're not for real. So you got to beat them. You got teams like Mizzou, Tennessee, who, who knows what they are. So for me, Mark, I'd say this. If you, I know the FBI came out at four and a half. If you go five and seven, I'm not going to be sitting here saying fire Shane Beamer. Like it, it's a tough job sure. in year one. Really yeah. all I want to see in year one, I want to see a well-coached football team a disciplined football team, a team that's excited to play, approaches each game the right way, can bounce back from adversity. Once you have a well-coached football team, then you say, okay, 
Shane Beamer's a good coach. Let's go get some big-time ball players because we can talk about how great of a coach Dabo is and Saban and, and, and everybody. But, dude, you watch Alabama. They just have the best players. Like, hey, players win games. Coaches lose them. You know, that's, what they, that's yeah. the, old, the old adage. But I think getting to six and six, I think, you know, for every South kind of sport, making the postseason should be the minimum expectation. I don't really give a damn what the circumstance is. And when you look at the schedule, I think six and six, getting to a bowl game, similar to Muschamp's first year, would be a success in year one, in my opinion. Again, if he goes five and seven, you're not circling the wagon saying fire the guy. It's like, whatever, okay, tough first year. But getting to six and six, I think, is very doable and should be that minimum expectation in year one, in my opinion. Yeah, but at the same time, Chris, you know, it might take some time right. before you see a disciplined program. Ask Mike Norvell in Tallahassee how hard it is to shift the culture of a program. It's one of the most difficult things you need to do, right? right. Um, yep. In in Columbia, the players were running the show, not the previous head coach, right? That is a culture issue. They have the same culture issue in Tallahassee. You get worse before you get better. Do not rule out the possibility that Shane Beamer could be doing everything right and they get worse before they get better because of because of what you just said. But to your point, you know, a couple of years, a couple of seasons ago, my first year, everybody was saying, self-included, that the Gamecocks needed to beat North Carolina in the first game of the year in order to achieve anything they wanted to achieve that year. And that's and when I said happen. fire must champ, by the way, just to give you, you some, did, right, some right. context. This year, this year, <laughs> East, right. This year, East Carolina is that game. Right. You've got to beat Eastern Illinois, Troy, and East Carolina. Yeah. Then you're counting Vandy as a win to get you to four. And yeah. then you need to win two out of the three of Missouri, Kentucky, and Tennessee yeah. to get to the bowl game. I don't care what anybody says. Those are winnable games. Yeah, Missouri, Kentucky, 100%. Tennessee, those are winnable games. If you come to play, right. you're going to be competitive. I mean, if you if you look at the schedule, Mark, realistically, this team could start five and two. And, I mean, you can only yeah. imagine the buzz around Columbia and Shane Beamer if you start this season five and two. I mean, it'd be yeah. insane. It'd be, incre- it'd be the most buzz since the Spurrier era, not even close. So Right. I've said on my show that I think the Gamecocks could have a flicker in the top 25 this year. You know, yeah. with the way that that schedule sizes up, especially if they do their once annual unexpected win over a big team. Right. And see that that's the funny thing. Off. That's the funny yeah. thing, Mark, is I tell people because I've talked to Gamecock fans like looking at the schedule like, oh, we're going to win this game and lose. I'm like, bro, it's Carolina football. We, You know, it's not going to be as simple as we're just going to win all the ones we should. and lose. Like we're going to probably yeah. beat an Auburn and we're probably going to lose to Kentucky. Let's just let's be honest. Like that's probably what's going to happen, I guess. Or that's the culture or Shane Beamer. Or lose to an ECU or right. lose to an ECU but beat Florida. That's the God culture forbid. Shane Beamer's trying to change. Is that 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 see that mindset? That's how Gamecock fans think. Oh, it's just old Carolina. We'll find a way to go 7 and 5 and lose to one we shouldn't and that's the culture he has to change. Oh you know God. what I mean? It's oh got to be the he's, he's got to change that minimum expectation. The the inferiority complex yeah. that the Gamecock fans in the Upstate have drives me insane. Yeah. You know, South where, Carolina where fans I, aren't even like wearing their gear anymore. They're no, just, no, no, no. Yeah, that, at least during the Mustang era. That's my point. Where I have when you're at the store where I live, right. you see Clemson fans and you see Gamecock fans hiding in plain sight. Okay, you don't see any garden in black. You see orange and regalia. Yeah. And you see people wearing plain clothes and you're like, you're a Gamecock fan, aren't you? That's the way that's I'm just telling you the reality uh, of the situation yeah, where I, I live. Right. Yeah. And so the inferiority complex, the woe is me, the weak ass expectations yeah. have to stop, man. Yeah. I had so many Gamecock fans. Your expectations for Shane Beamer are unrealistic. 
I'm sorry. Winning eight games, including a bowl game in year two is unrealistic. Yeah. Like what? Yeah. You know, like you're seeing across college football that if you hire the right guys, sometimes it doesn't take forever. Yeah. You don't, people don't think in year two, you can go seven and five with a bowl win. Yeah. And, 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 and to your point too, like as bad a head coach as Muschamp was, look at the recruiting. I mean, this should yes. be a top 25 roster. I know they lost a lot, especially defensively in the secondary, which is my biggest concern for this team. But if you sure. really look at the roster and you broke down the recruiting rankings, it, there's no reason this team can't go six and six in year one. There's just, there's just not. If, if, if they can get those guys to even somewhat buy in, at least just get your starters to buy in, you can go six and six. There's no question. Most important no question. position on the football field is the D line. Strength yeah. of the Carolina team. Yeah. Best position, in my opinion, best position you know on the football team. There's no question. It, period. And yeah. and Carolina is strong there. That can mask a lot yeah. of deficiencies. Yeah. As you mentioned in the secondary. You know, Luke Doty establishing himself as the yeah. leader of that team, which is awesome to mm. see. That's exactly what they needed is somebody do you hear Beamer like still trying to kind of manufacture that there's a competition, even though there isn't right. Dude, Doty's the star. <laughs> yeah. He's the star. Absolutely. Okay? 110. He's the leader. Yeah. He's the starter. And it's fantastic. The best thing that could happen is to, to South Carolina is for Doty to be taking the leadership mantle as he is. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I agree with you. It, it is funny. It feels like they're not trying to manufacture competition, but I mean, Shane Beamer literally came out and said, Hey, those other guys, they got to make it a competition. He's like basically saying it's not one. Like Luke Doty right. is QB1, yeah. bottom line. Right. Mark, I feel like we could go all day. And again, I, I don't want to steal the thunder from your segment today. So we'll move off the Gamecocks. And I know I've had you on for a while. I appreciate you being gracious with your time. But in closing, again, I'd just love for you to expand a little bit more on you know, your current role in Greenville right now, like I said, with ESPN Upstate hosting offsides with Mark Ryan three to seven. And again, I, you know, we we see that the social media banter back and forth and people say this, say that. But like you said, that the numbers speak for themselves. The accolades have rolled in for you and your show and, and Lonzo. Give a shout to Lonzo. He does a great job with you as well. Um, but I, I, in closing, I, I guess I'm curious about your future there and also you know, I, I'm always intrigued to hear the perspective from the radio perspective, because a lot of people have this this preconceived notion that, you know, and I even thought it for a little bit there for a second, a couple of years ago, that, oh, radio's dying out. Nobody listens to radio anymore. It's all podcasts. It's all social media. But if you look at the numbers and you look at the statistics, radio is still very alive and well. Like, like what what do you feel like? I, I guess when you look at the future of sports media. How do you yes. see it playing out? What do you see the role of radio so, being? So I got to make one correction. They did. We did make a producer change. I now have diesel. Oh, okay. work with me. oh diesel. That's uh, but, right. But, that's right. That's right. Okay. But, but, but look, uh, you know, when we got to the upstates, okay. Uh, we are competing against the flagship Clemson station that has a 20,000 watt signal. Mm. We do not have a 20,000 watt signal. We are not the flagship station of Clemson. I was told, Chris, we would never beat those guys. I was told that they have their audience. You'll never peel them away. Chris, year over year, okay, in the last 12 months, in our key demographic, we've beaten them 3.3 to 1.9. We have the same demographic that they do. If you want to move the decimal and say it's a football score, we beat them 33 to 19, okay? We beat them convincingly. They said it would never happen. It happened because we're authentic, we're honest, People know we're not going to blow smoke up your skirts. <coughs> we're going to, we're not going to give you ra- rainbows and gumdrops. We're going to be real with you. Mm. And if you can't handle the truth, that's on you, yeah. right? That's on you. You're doing the same thing 
Do not ever let anybody push you off of this. Do not let anybody uh, make you believe that you need to be Homer Media. Right. Because there damn straight is a niche for what you're doing. Yeah. Okay. And, and I love that. So to your point, um, in 2021, this year, okay, 40,000 adults were surveyed. Radio is the number three media medium. Okay. TV and video is 94% of people use it every week. Smartphone, 92%. FM radio, 88%. AM, AM FM radio, 88%. Now also, we are on smartphones. Now also, if you watch YouTube TV on your TV, we can see it on the, on the TV as well. Mm. So the key to, to, to succeeding in today's landscape, Chris, is to provide great content as often as possible yep. through as many mediums as possible, yep. right? That is the key. Um, so we're on apps, right? Yeah. We're posting content to the Facebook page. We're posting content to the Twitter page. We, are, we definitely are on the radio signals. But those old timers who feel like they can just roll in and do their show and go home, those are the guys who aren't going to survive. Yeah. You have to deliver bite-sized clips, bite-sized content to people any number of ways that you can, yeah. right? We've just introduced StreamYard, which is a video streaming service, and, yeah. and soon we're going to be posting an hour a day of offsides on the yeah. video streaming service, right? And we're posting hot segments every single day on social media. It's just what you have to do. It's great that AM FM radio is number three out of about 20 different media mediums and that 88% of people use it every week. But I want to be on the smartphone as well. Yeah. I want to be on your TV. I want, I want to be having the video thing working as well. I want streaming video, right? I want people podcasting us. I want it all. It is yeah. just one. If you're going to be successful, you know, fish where the fish are. And they're and they're everywhere. You know, Matt. now I will I will tell you, Chris, I took a little bit of a break from uh, Twitter, Twitter the last few months. Uh, I have a girlfriend. She's amazing. You know, and I've been spending some time with her and just kind of taking a mental break a little bit before football season. Yeah, for sure. It can be it can be, as you know, a bit of a toxic place, mm -hmm. you know. So uh, so I took a little bit of a break from that. But, uh, man, I'm raring to go again. I'm yeah. raring to go. Like you said, man, it's all about mass content creation because I'd agree with you. We're, we're all fighting the same fight for people's attention. That's what it all comes down to. You're fighting for attention. Like you said, spreading, and, I, and obviously I believe that's how I built my brand and my business is massive content creation. I told people in the beginning when I had like, you know, we had like 30 followers. I, I, I was literally talking to somebody about this yesterday. They were asking about advice, how to grow this page. Do that. So I'm like, dude, my thought process in the beginning was, you know what? I only have 30 followers and you know, man, on social media, nobody takes you seriously. If you don't have a certain follower count, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to post so much content. You can't ignore me. At some point, you know, you're going to jump on. And I think that's what you have to do. And obviously, I think you guys have done a really good job with that. Mark, this has been a pleasure, man. This has been awesome. I truly appreciate hey, you taking the time. I feel Chris, like this has been a long time in the making. and this, this has been outstanding, man. Seriously. Chris, thank you so much. Uh, I've had a great time. Thank you very, very much for the kind words on the show. Uh, to the Gamecock fans out there, I love you guys. Okay. I'm rooting for you to have success, okay? I know sometimes you don't like my opinion, but I'm an SEC guy. You're part of the family, and I'm pulling for you. And I think Shane Beamer's doing a lot of great things uh, to start his tenure uh, in Columbia. So, Chris, thanks for having me. Uh, congratulations on your success, and uh, cheers to your continued success. Let's have you on the show here again soon, okay?
Yeah, cheers to your continued success as well, Mark. Keep up the great work. Again, he's Mark Ryan. I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on the episode of the Spurs Up Show. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.